everybody welcome to a very special episode of spoilers joining me tonight we have brett staunch brett babyface brett how's it going uh, it's going pretty well man excited and, excited well what are you excited about what are we here to do we are here to do i don't know maybe the first ever podcast on all 90 academy award best picture films I think we are making podcast history. I don't think there's ever been one podcast episode that discussed 90 Best Picture winners at once. So this is a historic episode of Spoilers. And I'm so happy that you're alongside me because it was your idea to spoil or to, to watch these movies. What made you want to watch all the Best Picture winners? Oh, I don't know. I just kind of always wanted to. And I always like lamented not reading enough classic books or watching enough classic movies when I was a growing up i so you're like i want to watch the broadway melody oh no no one's ever said that it's i don't know it's just uh i just thought it was fun i thought it would be a cool thing to do and uh it definitely was a cool thing to do i'm really really happy that i did it all right cool so yeah we'll just go through all the first 90 best picture winners ever Hooray for Hollywood. Okay, let's go. 1927. You have 1927 through 28. What do you mean? Yeah, okay, so I, I, I'm pretty staunchly against this, but I decided to do it. The first six years of the Academy, they grouped years together this way, uh, ah. and then they finally stopped. And now when I'm asked a trivia question or I talk about it, I usually will just say 28 for the year. For Wings? Uh, you know, like you give out the award in 29. Actually, technically, the Wings came out in 27, which is kind of sucks but yeah so uh, let's just i mean let's just go with 28 29 i, I just wanted to show the year of the ceremony That's no what no oh. the, the year of the ceremony would have been 1929 going into okay talking about 27 28 so and that, okay. that went on for six years and then they uh luckily stopped and just for people who don't know um the year it is qualifies for an oscar is a year that i believe it releases in L.A. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why, you know, Casablanca came out in 42, but it wasn't, uh, didn't hit L.A. till 43 and didn't win Best Picture till 44. So, so there you go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go, go ahead. We can go ahead and get started. All right. Yeah. Uh, and also this first year, there were two kind of Best Pictures winners, right? There was the, mo- the artistic film or something that went to Sunrise, Tale of Two Humans, but the this is like the popular category and generally recognizes the best picture, but it's Wings. Uh, Brett, what did you think about Wings, the first best picture winner? I was, I'll tell you, I was definitely dreading this uh, because it's truly the only silent, the only true silent film. Uh, but uh, man, it was pretty good. I mean, I, I've said before, there's a bubble scene that I thought was too silly. I think it's awesome. I know, and I, I figured when I watched that you would like it, but I mean, uh, what do you get? Uh, Clark. No, uh, who's your guy in High Noon? Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper. This is Gary like his, Cooper. He has a silent role in this, but it's pretty fun. It's a, uh, it's a fun movie. Silent movie, war movie, World War One, mm. but it holds up pretty well. Some cool camera shots that Pappy will be able to talk more about, probably. Yeah, I mean, Gary Cooper is super duper, but it yep. is uh, the shot from The Last Jedi when it's going through the casino. Um, it's probably the most famous shot from this movie you've seen in 
a million times that where the camera comes down and it goes through the tables and the actors had to like move and had to like move the, the tables out of the way and it's it's a classic Hollywood shot but I mean there's a lot of striking shots in this movie and there's a lot of violence in this movie yeah. um, it's got kind of a strong female lead too like I mean every everything I thought like these early best pictures would be this one isn't it kind of rises above a lot of expectations and I, I was just so pleasantly surprised with it. And yeah, I, I do like silent films and I thought this was really good. I, I like Sunrise more between the two, but I think this is like a super entertaining for what it is. Um, yeah, uh, like it's really weird, especially for the time to have a female lead, like the first build. Mm-hmm. But from my research, she was like literally the biggest movie, female movie star in the world. And she's in it so infrequently compared to the men, but it's kind of cool. To see her get the top the billing top of the movie. And she's Claire, like in the yeah. middle of the poster. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What's her name? Uh, Claire, Claire Bow or Claire Bow? Claire, Claire Bow. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think that's pretty much it for Wings. Let's keep yep. going on to 1929. Am I saying that Ooh. right so far? Yeah. This 20, is 29, but yeah, 29 for yeah, sure. This is, I think, in my opinion, the oh. worst movie to win Best Picture, the Broadway Melody. Actually, Brett, do you see that link to the clip over in column uh, yep. H? Let's play that clip real quick just to. Give our audience a listen. And I ain't forgetting that you're the little girl that made me come to New York. Remember when I wanted to quit and give the whole thing up and you made me stick it out? Uh-huh. We'll talk well, over this a little bit, but it's the two girls and it's like really sleazy agent guy. And the way they talk is just infuriating. This is my least favorite, Brett. Yeah, me too. It's I, I, I used to make the joke, you know, she's like, oh, what's the big idea? <laughs> yeah, and they exactly. say like... On the level, I hate, I I hate that phrase. I'm glad that phased out. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Oh, you're going to sing my Broadway melody with me. The Mahoney sisters and Eddie Kearns. Yeah, Eddie Kearns and the Mahoney sisters. Oh, dear. well, how does it um, how does it go? How's it go? Now listen, I sing a verse and you come in on the chorus. Then we do another chorus and then go into a little dance. Uh huh. Well, give us an idea of it. I'll give you a uh, like we said, 1920, 1929, directed by Harry Beaumont. Beaumont, yeah. Beaumont, yeah. There's not really, I mean, to be honest, there's nothing really of note. Like, it's only a hundred minute movie, but it feels like oh, hours. Yeah. It feels like so many hours, and it's it's just terrible in every way. Um, the songs are forgettable. I, that's all I got. I yeah. Let's movie. go ahead. We can go ahead and move all on. Right. 1930 got all quiet on the Western Front. Uh, Brett, what do you think about this one? Uh, this was pretty good. I mean, uh, I've said before, I've read the book twice. It's a fantastic book. And this was actually a pretty good adaptation. And it was uh, pretty rare because it was written by someone who was pretty anti-war. And mm-hmm. it was kind of controversial. But uh, this was before the censors took over and I believe, 1934. So there are some pretty gory scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, like a guy's arms get ripped off. And it's just, it's pretty well done war, war movie. Well, that's the cool thing about doing a project like this is even though you have some Broadway melodies in there, you get an all quiet in the Western Front, and you get the kind of the chance to see what was being put out in the media after World War One but before World War Two. You know what I mean? Like yep. this is them depicting what they thought was the Great War, and it's it's kind of sad to know that like that wasn't really the war that ended all wars. Um, right. But yeah, I mean it's it's really good. I I like it. Uh, anything else on that one? Nope. All right, 1931. This is probably one of your least favorite, right? Yeah, and I, I saw that... Uh, Cimarron. Cimarron was... This and Broadway Melody are usually considered the two worst, uh, or at least the lowest rated. 
Yeah, you probably mm. liked it a little more than me. I, there were some parts that were okay, but, uh, you know. What's it about? It's about this guy who, he keeps wanting to move. He wants to move to Oklahoma because, you know, the big rush out west is mm-hmm. starting to happen. But Which that find, opening scene of the movie, though, is pretty awesome, that With rush. The, the horse r- racing and stuff? The horse... Yeah, it's like... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been depicted a few times in film, but it's, yeah, it's like the on-your-market-set-go, and it's yep. a pretty extended sequence of them rushing out, but... Yeah, and it turns out he's more... He just he likes a guy who likes adventure, so, you know, he gets to a town, sets up, he becomes really important, but he's got that itch. He's always got that itch to move around. It's kind of like, has to do with the wife who kind of makes... Uh, she makes her own impression on the town and become ends up becoming someone pretty important. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a ne'er do well husband, and it's. I think my biggest complaint is that it was so boring. But kind of an interesting note too. This is without a doubt has the most racist depiction of any character of the Best Picture winners. Uh, do you know which guy I'm talking about? Oh the yeah, little... he was my favorite character too. But yeah, for sure, he was uh. Actually, in uh, the uh, what's that gang called? Uh, Little Rascals. He played in oh. Little Rascals. Yeah. Was he like Buckwheat? Is that the guy's name? No, I don't believe he was Buckwheat. But okay. But yeah, no, but, he's. Uh, I mean, I don't even want to do an impression. Uh, no, I mean it's it, the exact kind of stereotype you would think of, yeah. like the worst of the worst. But the weird thing is, it also has like a very strong. Uh, native people's rights message like it talks a lot about there's like one couple who's like a mixed couple and one of like the arcs of the story is like overcoming that racism so it's like i mean at one point there's literally a watermelon joke with the black character but at the same time you have like this message of interracial marriages are okay it's like the films that i don't know war with itself over the race stuff yeah because he's also the kid the kid is like a part of the family and they like they love this kid but Mm -hmm. like the characters in the movie, as opposed to how he was portrayed, kind of don't match kind of what you're saying. They're conflicting, you know. So, you know, he was part of the family back in the 1800s, which was probably pretty rare, but they didn't portray him very, in a very unstereotypical way. So, but hey, right. 1931, I guess. Well, like I said, Broadway Melody is my least favorite. Is this your least favorite if you had to? No, no, the Broadway, the Broadway Melody is my least favorite yeah, for sure. It's it's terrible. All right, let's let's move on to one that we actually both really loved, uh, a gem. Uh, yeah. So it's so refreshing, like in a project like this. But sandwiched between two kind of shitty ones, we get yep. the Grand Hotel. What do you remember about the Grand Hotel? Uh, well, I, I just really, I this is the first movie I'd ever seen John Barrymore in, and I like took to him immediately. And it, first of all, for, for people who don't know. This was like the first time they'd ever uh, studio had ever used like more than two of their stars in one movie, and they'd put five big movie stars in one movie, and it pays and, off. <laughs> they're all really good actors, and all the performances are super captivating, and their inner relationships are interesting. It's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, Greta Garbo, John Barrymore, Joan Crawford, Wallace Beery, and Lionel Barrymore all in one movie, which back at the time had to have been insane. So. Mm-hmm. It was mind blowing. It's like your uh, Expendables of yeah, uh, but like legit, legit yeah. people. You have a note here: twenty five dollars a ticket in today's money. It was super yeah. expensive to yeah, it was see. super expensive. You know, right in the middle of the Great Depression, but people just wanted to see this movie, and people paid it. Yeah, it'd be the equivalent of twenty five dollars and fifty cents in two thousand fifteen. It just was really expensive to see it because they knew that they could charge it, and also they probably because they had to. 
to make money back. back too. Yeah. I didn't even look at that. But I mean, uh, I think this is like definitely a big influence on the Grand Budapest Hotel, especially yeah. in the storytelling. Like it's self-contained in a hotel, but more so of the, uh, the kind of near, I mean, dubious main character, uh, the Ray Fine character. Um, yeah. Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, no, I love that movie. That's a definite recommend, right? Like a hidden. For sure. And uh, apparently Wallsbury yelled at Joan Crawford, like, get this person out of here. She can't act, which mm-hmm. is pretty funny seeing as what Joan Crawford did in her career. But yeah, I would say of the ones so far, if you haven't seen any, I would write down Wings and Grand Hotel as ones to, to definitely check out. But let's move on to one that's honestly, frankly, super forgettable. And we come across yep. my first, the first movie that fits into my least favorite trope of of these best picture winners. At uh, first I said story within a story, like, uh, out of Africa or Titanic or the English patient. Um, but this trope of the exploits, I call it the exploits of the British empire. <laughs> and this is the first one yep. that fits in that category. Dude, I had to like kind of rewatch this movie and I only watched it a couple months ago. It's cavalcade and it's not good. No. And I think the first half of the movie is a lot stronger and then it just gets so silly. Like they take, Every little piece of history they could throw in there, you know, the Titanic comes into play and, yeah. you know, the Balkan, the war in the Falklands, and it's just, it's silly. The Titanic was like a big part. It's like surprising. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like their honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, what is happening? But yeah, I mean, and this also has uh, a common theme of Best Picture winners, uh, a protagonist who's dealing with alcoholism. Um, oh, yeah. And, and we have that here as well. Also kind of some... There's some PTSD, right, of the protagonist, that guy. Uh, You're talking about the servant or the rich guy? Doesn't the servant have PTSD? A yeah, little for bit sure. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, he's he's just a wreck, pretty mm-hmm. much when he gets. But he's a really jovial butler that everyone loves, and then he goes to the war and he comes back and he's just a drunk who just is absolutely miserable and he makes everyone else miserable around him. Yeah, it's a tough watch. It's not a good watch. I would not no. recommend Cavalcade. Uh, but okay, so now we're going. We have a single year here that just says yep. 1934. So this Finally. means it came out in 34, right? Yep. Just yep. Uh, okay. 34, and yep. This is Frank Capra's first appearance on this list. Uh, it happened one night. Um, I, th- I think this movie is just absolutely charming. Oh yeah, no, I, I actually I thought some of the things were actually still funny. Which in 1934, uh, it's the first movie I've ever seen Clark Gable in, and as Pappy knows I'm a pretty big fan of Clark Gable, so he's awesome. Yeah, three yeah. three times on this list he appears, correct? Yeah, in the same decade, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have the note here. It was the first winner of the Big Five: uh, yep. actor, actress, directing, writing, and best picture. Obviously, yep. uh, I I like Frank Capra. For me, is kind of a a double edged sword. I, I like the positivity of his movies, but sometimes it, it can be too much. And I think sometimes in this movie, it is a little too much. I didn't give it five stars. I give it like four and a no, half, but yeah. it's cute. And we'll, we'll get to another Frank Capra picture this decade that kind of fit the perfect bill of just too much, just too much. We'll get to that. Yeah. And, and it's weird because in, in the list like this, it's very much like static of what was famous at the time. Like if you were to really like the AFI, for example, they up their the list supposedly every 10 years. It's been a while, but yeah, you have like, uh, it happened one night is on the list, but it's way lower than, uh, God, what's his main movie with Jimmy Stewart? The Christmas one. 
It's a wonderful uh, life. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. Like, so it's just weird to think that like, it's a wonderful life is nowhere on this list, but the other Frank Capra movie is, um, what, what do you think about the, like the kind of the whole fact that they're, they're trying to bang basically, right? That's like one of the crux of the movie and they can't until they're married. I, I kind of love that. Yeah. Well, that's more of the second half. The first half of the movie is them just getting to the point where they can stand to be around each other. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing your typical how a man would treat a woman in 1934. He's telling her what she should do, what she should think and the right way to do things. But it is kind of charming. They get to like each other and yeah, they definitely, there's definitely some sexual tension and, uh, yeah, a I classic would say, final yeah. scene uh, where the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. But let's let's move on because Clark Gable actually goes back to back. Our first back to back actors that we see in the Best Picture list, uh, and another exploits of the British Empire: Mutiny on the Bounty. Brett, I love movies on boats. Do you love Mutiny on the Bounty? Except for Titanic, you mean? Well, uh, we'll, we'll get yeah. there though. I did we'll like Mutiny there. on the Bounty, and um, I've liked. Uh, I mean, Charles Lawton played just a guy you hated so much and he's so good he's such he, a great like anti-hero like up there with nurse ratchet and like all of those classic characters who just like piss you off he just no had end. like a deadpan answer quick snappy comeback to everything i mean and yeah he's the perfect opposite of clark gable and i like the other guy too i don't know if that was francho tone or herbert munden but i liked him too as kind of a middle ground mm-hmm. you know but yeah, this is a fun movie. I mean, not fun because it's, you know, about somewhat a true story about a pretty terrible ordeal. But it's it was, really uh, strangely yeah. paced to me. Like the third act is like not like it goes on for too long and it does kind of get it loses that sense of fun. that the, sure. first, the first two acts have. And it's just it's a pretty unbelievable story, to be honest. Like it, I would say it would be too ridiculous to be true. And if it wasn't, you know, based on a true story, but. I don't know, anything else on Mutiny on the Bounty? Nope. I feel like it's a more famous name than a movie For sure. remade with Marlon Brando, but it's a movie that's not very famous in any way whatsoever is the great Ziegfeld. Ziegfeld. Yeah. Uh, we have our friend Sandow in here. Um, this movie <laughs> is like, what's the running time? It's like almost three hours long. Yeah, something uh, like that, and it feels every bit of it. What, what do you remember from it? Uh, you have a good point on here, and he's just kind of a He's just kind of a dick, and he, he's he got all these people who do stuff for him, and he'll just turn around and screw this guy over. Um, I just remember, if you cut out all the just unnecessary singing and rehearsing of singing, and, you know, <laughs> the movie on its own wouldn't be too bad. Uh, William Powell's actually really good in it. Um, mm-hmm. He really is good, yeah. But it's Put just the there's so bag. much... Yeah, he's a he's a sleazy guy. He, you know, he's the type of guy who could would win twenty million dollars, and then you know next month he's broke. That's just the type of person he is. He just likes to spend money. He's always looking for the next big thing. It's mm-hmm. kind of forgettable, except for you know, uh, like I told you, the two Wizard of Oz people, the Scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz yeah. himself. Yeah, which uh, the dance that the Scarecrow does. What's his yeah. name in real life? Frank. Oh, Frank God. Morgan. Frank Morgan, uh, double check me on that real quick. But he, 
he does like the same kind of movements that he does in the Wizard of Oz, and it's so cool because I mean the Wizard of Oz hasn't come out yet at this point in time, but you can definitely see that they probably watched this movie, and that's why he got cast as the Scarecrow. He's like got this out of control body style, and his feet are moving a million miles an hour, but it looks like he's about to like tip over because he's drunk. It's yeah. so awesome, and then of, of course uh, the business rival. Uh, is playing basically the, the same swindler that he plays in the beginning part of the Wizard of Oz, but I don't know. It's it's a terrible watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a one time watch for sure. Some of the performances are better than others. There's one where they like a woman is shining a mirror into the faces of audience members and like blinding them, and it's supposed to be like seductive. <laughs> it's so strange, but there there is one shot where the the, the stairs are building up, and there's this giant ladder uh, building. Um, let's play a little bit of that song, actually, before we move on to our next movie. Okay, so we have a correction real quick after that clip. R- who is it? It's Ray Bulger. Ray Bulger, Bulger. Yeah, I, fr- I said Frank Morgan, but that was actually the Wizard of Oz. So uh, mm-hmm. my apologies on that. I'd... But yeah, he was uh, a really good dancer okay. in that movie. So yeah, Frank Morgan is the Wizard and the Psychic at the beginning. But okay, uh, I'll, I'm going to hand it off to you right away on this one because you, uh, I saw all of your letterbox ratings ahead of the ones I was watching. So it kind of like set me in the mindset but you love this the movie is 1937's the life of Emilie zola yeah the life of Emilie zola uh i thought this was great um this uh pretty iconic speech at the end which is kind of i say iconic but i'd never heard of it before but i thought he did a really good job pull money um i know that you said um this is a uh what did you call it like a poster hall of fame or uh a- what the poster, like the the movie. Oh, I love the poster. Yeah, it's, so, it's one yeah, of my favorite. Check favorites. it out if you get. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really well done. It's, it's sweet. Success. It's a yeah. really cool subject. That, but it's a terrible subject. It's called the Dreyfus Affair. It was a a, a lot about anti-Semitism, and he wrote a really famous piece in real life called J'accuse, um, and he ended up getting in big trouble for it. And it's just, I think it was great. So, mm-hmm. the first of at least three i think best picture winners set in paris oh wings has extensive sequences in paris but yeah i mean it's it's an absolute gem every everything you said is right uh i this movie has everything against it too i usually hate biopics um but it's really interesting and, and a couple of the details of of torture scenes that happen uh, a little bit of a spoiler there but the, the places are all you know real places and I, I looked them up on wikipedia afterwards and it's a really good watch it's a definitely a hidden gem um What's uh what's not a hidden gem is we have F- Frank Capra's <laughs> second appearance on this list. Uh 1938's You Can't Take It With You. Uh our whole friend Jimmy Stewart. That was the worst Jimmy Stewart ever, but he's on the list. Uh I know Ugh. you hated it. I did I hated not. It. Yeah, I did not like this movie. Um it, I actually sided with the stuck up rich family over the 
eccentric poor family like for the first <laughs> time ever because they were just so annoying everything they did annoyed me mm-hmm. uh lionel barrymore was was good in it i just hated everything jimmy around stewart, him. yeah sorry jimmy stewart being from the rich family uh yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's your kind of uh movie trope of rich person poor person how will their families you know get along and mm-hmm. but this is like on steroids because it's just a bunch they're of just really wacky. weird people yeah. all live in one house like they're not even really a family it's just, I don't know, uh, watch it if you can, but don't watch it again afterwards. No, I mean, I would say this is definitely, unless you're trying to watch all the best pictures, this is one to steer, or you're trying to be a Jimmy Stewart completist, I guess. Yeah. Strangely enough, do you remember the scene, like, he's out with the main actress, is that Jean Arthur, the yeah. female lead? They're out, uh, they're looking up at the moon, it's very reminiscent of It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> and he, he gives a speech about photosynthesis which is like so close to like talking about you know swing a rope around the moon but it's not and it's frank capra and it's jimmy stewart it's like so yeah. disappointing just to, to watch it's like oh well, i kind of don't like that scene as much anymore he it looks like he got a do-over and it's a wonderful life mm-hmm. so he decided just to make it better yeah so I mean, that's it, one way to look at it yeah, it's not a very well-known best picture, like we said, stay away from it. Uh, but what is a very, very, yes. very, very, very famous movie? Uh, 1939's Gone with the Wind. Interestingly enough, we're both looking at a Google spreadsheet, and this is the first movie where neither of us have any notes. Perhaps we didn't need any notes, Brett. Uh, just, we know it. Yeah, and also I kind of just stopped putting notes because I wanted to put actors and stuff, and I ran out of time. But yeah, it's a really well-known uh, it's got my boy in it. It's got Pappy's, one of Pappy's all-time biggest crushes in it. Vivian Lee. She, and she's just such a raging, uh, you know what, the entire movie, and it's I'd just... I love it. I, I, oh, yeah, it's... I think yeah. it's like the first, I mean, it's the first time we talked about uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, but this is probably the greatest anti-hero performance of any Best Picture movie. I mean, arguably Nurse Ratchet too, but I mean, Vivian Lee as this like yeah psychopathic evil woman um i don't the thing of it is is like she some of the the comments on letterboxd are like you know the movie is racist but she's a bad person you know what i mean and the way that she interacts with the black people on on the plantation is much different than the way clark gable does and i'm I'm not trying to get into like you know a benevolent slave owner it's not like a great trope but like it doesn't bother me when the bad guy does bad stuff you know what i mean right I, yeah, I don't get, I don't dive too deep in that stuff. I, I've seen the critiques of the movie and I don't There's care. one big thing that, yeah, I mean, it's not even worth addressing, but it is a pretty bad, a, a bad scene. And I think that my takeaway from that was always that the bad person enjoyed the super evil thing and that's fitting with their character. I don't know if you want to touch that at all, but that's, that's just my take. No, I always get that, but I think I don't. I don't. I'm not looking at Vivian Lee like an object because she's actually she's really good in this movie. But she does like one of the first times I've seen probably early on where you hate her throughout the movie, but she has mm-hmm. just this. You like you like your typical male blood. You like want her. Like I don't know. I don't know if that's making any sense, but she's just like you see what Clark Gable saw in her, even though he knew she was a terrible person. She just has this raw. I don't know, man. I I, I don't want to get too. Oh, Ashley, Ashley. <laughs> oh, he's such a turd. <laughs> he's such a turd. I mean, it's uh, it's the first true. Just scrolling through, yeah, I would say it's definitely the first true epic 
on this list. Oh, yeah. And, and, it's, uh, and yeah, the production value is worth it. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a, it's a good, it's definitely a good watch. I mean, you might need to watch it in sections. And actually, it, this is the longest best picture. But if you get a version where they cut down or cut out the intermissions, uh, it's actually not too bad. It's only about three and a half hours, which I know sounds ridiculous, but it's it's a good watch. I wish Clark Gable was in it more, but because of the storyline, he pops in and out of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's one of my. That's his third appearance, right? So that's yep. he's kind of. Yeah, I think he's done for the list, but good to have him on it. Uh, another actor, or excuse me, a director who's good to have on this list, but again, it's a strange choice how he ends up here. Uh, is Alfred Hitchcock uh, yeah. directing 1940s Best Picture winner Rebecca? Um, there's definitely some iconic shots here this is the first of two Laurence Olivier movies um I think about the house burning at the end but but again it's just weird how this is Hitchcock's appearance on this list you know yeah it's and he didn't he didn't win best director for this movie so you know he never really got that but I mean it's a it's a good it's a solid Hitchcock and you've obviously seen a lot more Hitchcock than me and you're a much bigger Hitchcock fan than I am I'm not saying I don't like him I'm just saying you like you know, he's on your Mount Rushmore. Uh, let's move on to uh, 1941's How Green Was My Valley. Uh, I searched high and low, and I can't find the clip from Frasier on the internet. I might just have to dig into Netflix and play it uh, in post. Looking for How Green Was My Valley. Huh? <laughs> it is a beautifully acted depiction of life in a small town in Wales. It won five Academy Awards. It's a classic. Oh, well, uh, this is a shot in the dark, but... You might try looking in the classics section. <laughs> uh, you're, you're taking How Green Was My Valley? I heard it was great. Yes, but you heard it from me. You were standing next to me in the line. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Is there another copy? Oh, yeah. That'd, uh, that'd be across the street in our How Green Was My Valley annex. Um, that's pretty much what I think about when I think of this movie. Uh, John Ford directing it, so big name there. I guess. What did, what did you think of How Green Was My Valley? I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, this movie unfortunately is always cast down because it beat out Citizen Kane, but it's just a real dreary but film. But it's got a really nice family dynamic. I thought uh, Walter Pidgeon was awesome as the old man. Um, yeah, I mean, I know you you really like this, I believe, so you can go ahead and... Yeah, it's like a slice of life that takes place in Wales, right? Is that... Yeah, Wales yeah, or Scotland, it, yeah, I think it's Wales. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely... John Ford directs a lot of these movies that, that are, you know, championing the lower class citizens and citizens who are going through periods of economic change. And this is one of those movies, and it's it's... It's dry. I, I, I don't know if that's a good description for it. It's it's somber, um, but it's also I, I found it very interesting. Um, it's kind of even a period piece of these people's lives. Um, and I've seen it considered a musical as well. That is borderline because the, yeah. the music is just kind of like they're working the coal mine and they sing, but it's not like a pure musical at all. So. There's like a there's a couple wedding scenes, I guess, but I wouldn't. Yeah, that does not make it a musical. But but you mentioned uh, Walter Pigeon. He goes back to back, and we're, oh, excuse me, How Green Is My Valley? I'll count it exploits of the British Empire. Uh, we go back to back exploits of the British Empire. Back to back, Walter Pidge- Pigeon. Mrs. Miniver. Um, I want to see a supercut of a movie with Dunkirk, The King's Speech, and Mrs. Miniver. Uh, I don't know what you yeah, think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you could, 
I know uh, you guys didn't like it as much as I do, but you could throw a little uh, Darkest Hour in there to get, you know, Churchill going on. Oh, that's what I, I meant. I meant Darkest Hour, not King's Speech. I, had it right um, my notes. I believe, I think I might have made a mistake with Walter Pigeon. I'm talking about the old man. That might have been... That might have been Donald Crisp, for all I know. But the no, old guy, no, Walter Pigeon's the dad in How Green Was My Valley, and he's okay. married. He's Mister Miniver in this movie, 1942. Okay. So yeah, Mrs. Miniver, uh, I thought it was pretty unique because they made a movie about World War II at a time when we weren't winning the war, and the right. Allies were kind of getting taking it to them. So it's just kind of weird. Uh, this was an okay movie. It didn't blow me away at all. And just, like, talk about pretty sad movie, but, you know, kind of forgettable. It's sandwiched in between two much better movies. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you want to talk about it. Let's see. I'm trying to find this quote. Uh, Churchill had a quote about Mrs. Uh, Miniver, and he said it was, let's see. Mrs. Miniver was more powerful to the war effort than the combined work of six military divisions. So, huh. I mean, it's... You you kind of hit it on your nose. It's definitely like in this period of of propaganda, but propaganda for, you know, sure. for the allies fighting Nazis. So if you're gonna have propaganda, it's a pretty good cause to back, I guess. Um, I don't know. There is a cool scene too when, uh, like I said, this is just straight Dunkirk story. So Mister Miniver goes to do that, yeah. and then uh, there's a cool scene too where one, a Nazi breaks into oh, Mrs. Miniver's house. Is that true well in any way? Like, did Nazis set foot in England? I don't think so maybe once but like they get over it by saying he's playing got shot down but mm-hmm. that's not something i'd ever heard of that nazis ever got there yeah. i mean they tried they got close but you know yeah, never really quite like, made it i feel like i would have would have known that and uh yeah i mean it's it's uh it's definitely a story too because you see the characters kind of go through this transformation of, of being you know uh, materialistic. They're like buying cars and jewels and all that stuff, and then they're like literally fighting in the war. So, in many ways, getting America ready for what it was going to get into. But we're in the heart of the World War II movies now. Real, real quick, um, let me let me happen here real yeah. quick. Oh sure, yeah. For Mrs. Miniver, a fun but weird creepy fact is Mrs. Miniver in the movie uh, Greer Garson actually ended up marrying the person who played her teenage son later on in life. After actually after this movie, pretty much so. A little creepy, but you know, hey, to each I mean, their that's, own. That's how it kind of goes, though. The actors are much older than the actresses are allowed to to get at this point. In For Hollywood. sure. Um, now go ahead. Yep. But you just rewatched this movie, 1943's, uh, probably the best movie we've had so far. I would say Casablanca. Yeah. yeah For you, sure. It's, it's tough to talk about a movie this famous, but what do you what do you have to say? I mean, I'd watched it before. It had been a while, but I wanted to really... Because I gave it a three and a half star rating, and I was like, this just, just doesn't seem right. It always bothered me to, to TBH on Letterboxd. Did I make a comment about it, though, about I needed to watch it again? Either way, I watched it last night, and I loved every second of that movie. It is so awesome. And I, I would like for you, Pappy, to tell me, tell the, the world what you told me last night about giving passes to movies. Well, that's the thing is you watch a movie like Casablanca and then there's other movies on this list which are like, oh, they're pretty good, but you're kind of factoring in the fact that they're old. And there's a lot of movies that come after this that I kind of do the same thing, but Mm -hmm. this movie is truly timeless. Truly, truly timeless. And when you see a movie like this, it's like, how do I forgive the sins of all these other old movies when when 
people are capable of making this. You know what I mean? Yep, it's not for sure. It's not like a technological breakthrough. You know what I mean? It's not like they had like it's not like a special effects driven movie. It's just a great story and great yep. acting and great dialogue. It really is. Yeah, you, know, you have a favorite scene of this movie? Casablanca. Any scene? Any scene that had Humphrey Bogart in it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the end scene's classic uh, mm-hmm. with the plane and you know the the double cross and mm-hmm. yeah, it's I, I can't I, I couldn't the say anything. They're all too good. Yeah. The gambling, right. yeah, it's it's so good. Definitely, definitely a classic, Brett. I always say here's looking at you, but a movie that I didn't enjoy <laughs> looking at in any way was 1944's Going My Way. So we had, we had Mrs. Miniver. We had, we're entering the war effort. We had Casablanca, a, a wartime story. And now we're just going for the, uh, let's just feel good. Let's just watch a musical with Bing yeah. Crosby and try and feel good. What do you, what do you remember about Going My Way? Well, uh, a lot of that, what you said, uh, I, whether it's controversial or not, I loved Bill. I loved Bing Crosby in this movie. He's not great Bill Cosby. in the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah the singing—it's—it's uh, it's like a musical that doesn't need to be a musical. But they like, hey, they got Bing Crosby. He's the most famous singer in the world right now. Uh, I thought he did really well. I thought Barry Fitzgerald did really well. But it is really boring. And as I said, the ending almost made me cry. It's the good ending in my opinion. Uh, but I probably won't be watching the movie anytime soon mm-hmm. again. I would say if you're wondering how to, I think I can best describe going my way is there's a bunch of amalgamations <laughs> of movies that came out of this, but I would say there's, it's Sister Act plus White Christmas. Not just the Bing Crosby connection, but, but what he's trying to do there. Uh, you have Fred Mertz in the movie from I Love Lucy, so it's dash of him. Uh, definitely some elements of Mary Poppins. Uh, Sister Act 2, and the ending that you mentioned was straight Paddington 2, and I threw Spotlight in there, but that was just a mean-spirited jab <laughs> at the movie, because I hated it so much. Um, it's super boring, and the songs are not memorable. No, for sure. Uh, yeah. It's definitely Swinging on a on. star? I mean, I can't even sing Swinging on a star. Would you like to swing on a star? It's hard to even remember. It's so bad, but... Um, <laughs> I love Billy Wilder, and so 1945's the lost weekend I, I think is an absolute gem um it's super dour and depressing and again we go into the uh trope of a protagonist dealing with alcoholism but i think brett i would call this the, the definitive uh best picture winning alcoholism movie oh yeah it, the whole movie's about it and i thought i think i put it in my review back in the day it's it's a really interesting time because you can tell it's kind of right in the middle of when people started realizing alcoholism wasn't a, really a choice. It wasn't being weak-willed. But mm-hmm. at the same time, half the other part of this movie is other people saying, why can't you just stop drinking? And the main character's like, come on, man, you don't need to drink. It's it's kind of like right in the middle of understanding that alcoholism is a disease, but also the old-school tough guy of you don't need to do that. Just be tough and put the drink down. It, it's kind of toes that line i did not like this movie as much as you did i'll tell you that right now um it does have the most blood curdling scream ever when you <laughs> see the rats coming through the wall it's almost yeah. funny it's but ridiculous. it's definitely a dark it's definitely maybe the darkest mm-hmm. best picture we've come to so far well i think it's it taken so we've gone from 1928 to 1945 it is probably the darkest but i think it's also the first time we see a vulnerable male protagonist in a lot yeah. of ways. I, I think Humphrey Bogart 
can't, can't show some elements of that in Casablanca. Um, but this is this is definitely a person who's this is a man who's been beaten down, and in, in many ways, it's his friends trying to forgive him and redeem him, even though he keeps letting him down over and over and over again. Uh, but yeah, Billy Wilder, one of my favorite directors. Um, but it's interesting because this next movie also has some elements of alcohol in it, alcoholism in it. We're in 1946. Now we're talking about uh, people coming home from the war, and that's what mm-hmm. our, our our films are about. Uh, what do you remember uh, from William Wilder, Wilder, not Billy Wilder, William Wilder, uh, from the best years of our lives? Uh, you had kind of uh, warned me before I watched it, so I went in. It's mm-hmm. just... It, it, it's sad all the way up until the last five minutes, and that's even debatable whether that's sad too. It's just sad. It's kind of maybe one of your first, if not your first, big anti-war film, or at least mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, it's quite on the Western Front's pretty anti. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I guess I meant World War Two. Okay, um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's a tough watch. It's got a lot of really good acting in it. Um, and I think it's the first and only person with a a, a hook hand to win an Oscar. <laughs> he's so terrible, dude. He's terrible, though. He's he won. So- he won an Oscar. He won two I, Oscars okay. that year. But I, as this list proves, you have to be great to win an Oscar. <laughs> he's he never went on to do anything else. No. Um, it is it is depressing. Um, again, we see sort of male pr- protagonists being vulnerable again. Interesting, it happens back to back years. But yeah. It's just sad, and it's it's a sad kind of timeless message in a lot of ways. The the PTSD. It's it's interesting to see that being addressed so yeah. so early on. Um, but I don't. This was one I had to go back and look up a lot of stuff on. It's uh, <laughs> Ilya Kazan, his debut to the list. Uh, Gentlemen's Agreement, starring Gregory Park. Uh, what do you think about Gentlemen's Agreement? Yeah, what it was you, not. G- give us a plot too, because this is a. Uh, this is okay. kind of interesting. So this was kind of a common theme if you look at some of these earlier movies. Anti-Semitism was pretty common. Um, it's I did not love this movie at all. Um, no, it's it, one it's of a the guy. Worst. He's a journalist, Gregory Peck, who does a, a good job. It's Gregory Peck. He's a good actor. Uh, he goes undercover and acts like he's Jewish, and he realizes how much his life changes, how people start judging him, uh, his... Yeah, you you have a perfect note. I hate his stupid mom. I hate his stupid girlfriend. His girlfriend, mm-hmm. who I feel like really means well, um, but she just keeps making so many dumb comments and just not realizing it. It's just it was way too ambitious of a movie, and I thought they failed in it again. Gregory Peck does well, mm-hmm. but it's this is a one time watch. It's it just missed. For sure, it's it's definitely near the bottom of my list, but it's it's still very far away from something like the Broadway oh, melody. For you know sure, I mean? yeah, I don't mean to sure. say that. Ilya Kazan knows where to put put the camera, um, and it's there's a great movie in here. I, I I have a pick for the most fertile Best Picture winner for a remake. Uh, this is close, but it's it's not it. Um, but there is one powerful scene, and it's gonna it's gonna be kind of a spoiler when I say it, but it's not. Um, there's a dialogue that's sent around, and it's gonna be self-evident. Uh, one of the characters says to one of the main protagonists, "So what did you what did you do when he told the joke?" And she kind of has a breakdown, and and it kind of speaks for itself. But it's there are moments of, of greatness in here, but it's not not worth your time. Not one I'd circle, and and one. Brett, I'm sure you wouldn't circle, 
1948's no. Hamlet. To Brett or not to Brett? Yeah, I, I made sure to warn Pappy pl- eh, way early. It's did you just, like study Hamlet at all in high school? Like, did you ever read it? Did you ever no, have to like go through? What no, is, not really. What I didn't. I didn't yeah. know that, that really hurt me too. Not knowing. I know it's like pretty much the Lion King, right? Sure. Yeah. I believe like, King kills his brother, takes over the kingdom. Yeah. This is a little bit more nefarious, and you have a little bit more of dealing with like where people's immortal souls are going to end up. It's a big part of this movie. But I think I think Lawrence Olivier, Olivier uh, played Hamlet really well. I thought he probably directed it pretty well. It's just a boring mm-hmm. story. You needed subtitles because even though they're speaking English, it's a different mm-hmm. language. It's just, Absolutely. It's just so long. It's so boring. And Lawrence Olivier did everything he possibly could to make that even that ounce of what it was. I mean, just it's just, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I did, uh, Hamlet was something we covered in AP English, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the story. Like, I, to, for me to understand Shakespeare, I'm so dumb. It takes, like, there's, like, layers of things that have to happen. Like, I have mm-hmm. to, like, read it, then I have to, like, use something like the, sh- like, a Shakespeare translator or something. Then I have to, like, watch it, and then I feel like I can probably have a good, like, understanding of it. But I'm with you. The best tip if you do want to watch Hamlet is to turn on the, uh, closed captioning. Um, this isn't, you should know also, this isn't, like, a verbatim, telling of, of Shakespeare's Hamlet. Uh, Lawrence Olivier did make some changes. I, did he win an Oscar for the writing? Or did he get nominated for the writing? I think... He, uh, I'm like sure that. he got nominated. He actually... It was actually pretty controversial because he took out two, like, beloved characters. He just completely wrote them out. Rosencrantz and... Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? Yeah. yeah. They're not in this movie at all. They're, they're dead. Um, but... Uh, it's like I said, to to do Hamlet. I think uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. I think that's pretty close to verbatim. And I might be totally wrong. Let me know if I'm wrong. But I think Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet uh, was originally going to be like a verbatim Hamlet, and that running time is like four and a half hours, like almost five oh, hours. I bet, so I it's, bet, yeah, it's just a long story to tell. And then if you're gonna ingest a version of Hamlet, if you can't see it like at a local theater or something, right. I guess this is the way to do it. But, but I, I would say like, you know, if you, if you're like, I want to know Hamlet, I would read it. I would look up some Shakespeare translator and I'd go to some like theater in the park, something local and, and just experience it that way. This isn't my recommended way to experience Hamlet, but that's enough for Hamlet. Let's talk about the movie that I remember the least, uh, from this list. Honestly, this is all the King's men, uh, 1949. I saw it in high school. Uh, and so I went back and I kind of revisited a little bit, but you really don't like this movie, right? No, I did not like this movie. Um, I didn't like a single character. Um, now it also, it's not like I didn't think it was well put together and the acting was good. It's just, I didn't, I just, it's just such a story of you, you're supposed to hate everyone. It's all about corruption. I guess it's yeah, a lot like Citizen Kane, but I corrupt, guess Citizen yeah. Kane did it a lot better. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, it's pretty forgettable. Uh, you know, they take a heart of gold guy and have him run for senator or congress. And, you know, it does not take long for him to become corrupt and just a terrible person. It just kind of shows the power of corruption. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, too, because in the history of, of American film, uh, in this time period, over and over again, you hear the house on american activities committee um which was uh the committee that was investigating you know communist ties uh like you know the crucible like kind of this witch hunt of, of communist people in the united states and this director 
Robert Rosen uh, was one of the ones who named names and, and uh, his career kind of took a dive after this. He, he went on to d- direct, uh, what's it, The Color of Money, um, but that's pretty much oh. all he would do uh, for the rest of his career after this. But it's interesting because it's such a, he was part of the uh, Communist Party in America. And, and I think in this movie, it shows quite a bit like his, his uh, skepticism of the American government, but there's better versions, I think, like you alluded to of, of the story. And it's pretty, pretty forgettable. Um, I do have a note too. The, this is the last best picture winner, uh, to be based on a Pulitzer Prize winning, uh, piece of literature, which is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I, one thing I will say though too is, is looking back, I did remember that it's really well edited actually. The original cut was four hours of all the Kingsmen and they, uh, yeah, it's impressive. They cut, it, they cut it down to two hours and it's like, there's a lot of montages, a lot of kind of, like more advanced film editing techniques. And I appreciated the first time I saw it. So actually, I would still, yeah, I'd still say a no, but it's not terrible. Right. Uh, and, uh, I would actually say of all the decades, forties is probably my least favorite, but I have to, I mean, hmm. don't quote me on that. Yeah. But I'm not saying there's not, obviously I said that before I watched Casablanca again last night, but even so this had the most misses for me. Uh, I would like, say the 30s are for me because I have yeah, like, my two gosh, least I, favorite things. I almost don't even want to count the 30s. Yeah, 30s are probably the worst. And yeah. then I think there, you know, there's a string in the 50s that I think is really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to take a break before we get in the 50s? Yeah, let's take a break. Actually, let's play Spoiler Man now, and then we'll come back before we get to the 50s. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Hooray for Hollywood again, and we're back to the 1950s. Uh, Brett, you said there's a pretty sweet streak in here, but we and we start off with a what I think is pretty solid, pretty good. All about Eve. Uh, what do you think about All About Eve? And it's 15 Oscar nominations. Um, you know, I would probably, if retroactively, this is one of the earlier ones I watched. I'd probably take a bump a half star off it, but I remember really liking it. It's the first and only movie I've ever seen of Betty Davis, and I thought she was like so captivating. She's in a movie full of like big time actors and Oscar nominees, and and she just I think acts circles around them. And uh, I don't know, I, I really liked it. Uh, I think George Sanders won uh, best supporting actor. And if anyone knows, has anyone seen Jungle Book? He is the voice of Shere Khan in the original Disney comic uh, cartoon. Yeah, and like you said, Betty Davis just really is like the center of gravity. In this movie, there are some like kind of silly plot points and some of the characters' like motivations or, or their actions at times just don't like don't jibe with with like a a super classic movie. It's a little bit silly, but the the performances, like I said, like you said, anchored by Betty Davis are just what this movie is all about. And it got so many acting nominations and just so many ask Oscar nominations. Like it's always that movie when like La La Land or Titanic or like a big movie that's getting tons of nominations comes out. It's always like you know, around all about Eve is get more than 15 or not. I, I remember, I don't want to sound, I know they're not objects and everything, but they're going back, watching these movies. There are so many beautiful women in these movies. And then when you see Marilyn Monroe, you're like, holy crap, she is two mm-hmm. decades ahead of everyone else. Apparently she frustrated everyone. Cause she could not act. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, man, she just looks different. Um, I, for, I forgot she was in this, but, it's 
you know, I'll say this too. Like Betty Davis's eyes are almost are a cliche at this point, but this yeah. is, I'm with you. This is the only Betty Davis movie I've seen. I th- I think I should check Letterboxd. That might not be true, but yeah, her her expressions and and her character in this movie because she's not the young. Uh, no, she's aging. And that's, yeah, yeah, that's kind of in real life. Kind of probably echoes a little bit what was going on in real life from what was going on in the movie. So, yep. so all the dramatic weight is like placed on her shoulders, and she just fucking kills it. So, mm-hmm. I, I might even give this an extra half star if I revisited. But let's go to 1951. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you mentioned. I think this is now our second or third uh, or second full. Uh, best picture winner to take place in Paris, um, an American in Paris. Uh, this is the first Gene Kelly movie that you had seen, right? Speaking of first. Oh, yes. He is, oh, he's so unbelievable. Like you, you put it perfectly. You know, a lot of dancers and stuff like that at the time were slight of, slight of yeah. build, uh, you know, slight of build. And he's just so masculine. He's buff. He's mm-hmm. just, he's so awesome. Oh my gosh. I, he's got I so love- much charisma in the way he moves and the way he acts. Like he's so likable in, in all of his films at this and singing in the rain, of course. I, I loved this movie. Um, and I, I, I believe I, when I, uh, talked about it in my review, it, I didn't give it a five star review. I probably should because the mm-hmm. last 20 minutes is like a 20 minute operatic scene. Now, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. It is, gorgeous it has got so many cool colors the dancing is unbelievable but there were like five storylines that they didn't tie mm-hmm. up because of this and that's what took the half star away from me but i love this movie i mean yeah i don't know i don't think it deserves the five star rating uh just because like you said it's not like a that fluid of a story no and it, it's all just kind of a setup for what happens in that last scene but everything that happens in that last scene is like 10 of 10 perfect production value and here in the 50s we start to see the academy really recognize the movie that has the best production value over and over again and this is definitely the best production value of 1951 um 1952 is a perfect example yeah the 1950s exactly let's just get into that now the greatest show on earth okay brett i i think this is the most fertile of all the best pictures for a for a remake um what do you think about that yeah i think that could work uh it's just at the same time though the circus is kind of gone and this was like a big three hour long commercial for mm-hmm. uh, Barnum and Bailey and what's the other one uh, uh, Ringling Ringling Brothers yeah. uh, but the production value is really really good uh, it, it's, it's basically two movies one movie's pretty darn good and one movie is just pretty I terrible, don't honestly. I don't care about the circus Mm-hmm. But uh, the other storyline's pretty decent, and uh, you get to see your boy Jimmy Stewart as a clown. As a clown, yeah, he, he wears makeup for the entirety of the film, which is buttons. which is interesting. Yeah, buttons, <laughs> buttons. Uh, directed by Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, I, yeah, the storyline with the two trapeze artists. It's basically kind of a, a love story, yep. a love triangle there with the trapeze artists and uh, the manager. Like what we can do now and. 2019 with technology like you could put two really good actors in those roles and it would like you even though you know they're in no danger that kind of stuff still always kind of gets me like heights and jumping and that kind of stuff so i think uh if you throw in the the director of the lobster and the director of the favorite yorgos lanthramos i don't know if i'm saying that right but i think if he got his hands on this and cut out all you got to cut out the jimmy stewart buttons character or streamline him or something but his plot's a little ridiculous but i I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I think it could be a great, 
great remake. Yeah, um, I don't know why I keep thinking of Brie Larson being the female lead. I don't know why. Ooh, but, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's go to... Uh, this is a, like a pretty famous movie. I feel like I had always seen the scene of them kissing on the beach, uh, 1953's From Here to Eternity. Uh, what yeah. did you think about this one? Uh, I believe we're kind of on the same page here. I, I mm-hmm. thought this was a great, great movie. The ending was absolutely ridiculous. I won't spoil it because sh- everyone should see this movie. Uh, got Frank Sinatra's Oscar. Uh, Burt Lancaster was great. Uh, again, super iconic. Maybe top 10 most iconic scenes with Burt Lancaster and Deborah Kerr kissing on the beach. Mm-hmm. A couple of nice romances going on. It's a cool Pearl Harbor story, but the ending is just woof. It's it's. I didn't like well, that, it. So it might have been a ginormous spoiler you just dropped, but I mean it's taking place Ooh. in Hawaii right before World War II. It is also kind of obvious, but it's such a departure from the great writing that's going on in the film. You, you have an "I love you" dot dot dot. I know. Like, did George was this stolen for Star Wars? Like, it's. It's it's iconic writing, but it, yeah, it just takes such a left turn. I mean, anything else on that? I don't have a lot. I, I thought the when the planes again. I don't, are we like not spoiling a really obvious yeah, ending? It's too late. Let's just go for it. it Pearl Harbor happens. Whether <laughs> I thought the gunshots were really well done. I don't know how they do that uh, when mm-hmm. the plane comes down and shoots the machine guns. I'm sure it's probably easy, but I thought it looked really cool. I thought the practical effects were really cool. So yeah, good movie. I mean, Everyone should watch this movie at least once. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and it's like this. Is this the first like flat out? No, no, no. I, that's a major spoiler. This isn't the first uh, movie to contain infidelity to win Best Picture, but it's it's one of many. It's a that's a theme that comes up, but it's it's always kind of stark to see it after you see something like uh, it happened one night. Just also to see that like uh, that innocence compared to like this kind of like you know more modern yeah. takes. But let's go to 1954. Uh, this is. I'm going to talk a little bit about this one, if you don't Go mind, ahead. Brett. I think oh, yeah. this is one of the greatest films ever made on the waterfront. You got Marlon Brando. You got Lee J. Cobb from 12 Angry Men. You got Ilya Kazan's second appearance. And and I'll say this. If you didn't have the extra kind of authorial intent, the the the, the weird look inside of what Ilya Kazan was, was thinking at the time, this would still be a five out of five movie. It's 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 so well acted. It's so well shot. Marlon, this is probably the best show piece for Marlon Brando. If you're like, why is he considered one of the greatest actors of all time? This is this is pretty digestible, and it's he's just phenomenal in it. Um, but the reason that it really goes over the top for me is that you have, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Ilya Kazan. He named names to the HUAC, the House on American Activities Committee. He named eight actors uh, who ended up being part of the Communist Party in 1952. And if you watch this movie, uh, kind of a central theme is like. The main character is a narc, Marlon Brando, and he ends up being a good guy because of it, and he's beaten down because of it, but it's in this righteousness that he finds refuge. And, and I don't think that Ilya Kazan did the right thing when he gave up those people to the, the House on American Activities Committee, but I do think it's fascinating to, to look inside the mind of someone who had just done something that extreme and, and how he viewed himself through Marlon Brando. So that's that's a lot for me, but what, what, what did you think about On the Waterfront? Oh, this this was a masterpiece. I, I like to point out the fact, uh, kind of with Betty Davis earlier, but even more uh, obvious, Marlon Brando's on screen with a bunch of great actors. Like, if you don't know anything about Lee J. Cobb, watch 12 Angry Men. Rod Steiger is an Academy Award winner for In the Heat of the Night, and Marlon Brando literally act circles around these people. It It's unbelievable. 
It's super well done. It's pretty short. I don't. I think it's pretty short. I think nice it's sub two, two hours, sub one twenty minutes for sure. Nice and tight. Yeah. Just it's just it's awesome. It, he's so he's such a believable, bitter. He, he's just such a believable character. He, he's he's just unbelievable. This is probably mm-hmm. I mean Godfather is my favorite performance of him, but this is like his. This would be on his you know this is uh, his, his tombstone. Yeah. I mean this is like, yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, and I, and I just one last note. I do see some criticism about not necessarily agreeing with the message of the film, uh, but I think again, you're looking inside of Ilya Kazan, who who was an artist, who was a great director. You're seeing inside his head, so you don't have to agree with him. It's it's incredibly beautiful. But either way, let's move on to 1955. We're on a really good streak here. We go from here to Eternity, on the waterfront, to now the shortest Best Picture winner. Marty, I really like it. Yeah, this is a good movie. Um, it's like fun, but at the same time, it's just kind of sad. You feel bad for everyone. It is kind of sad. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say it's fun. No, I mean it's kind of a. Uh, I guess that's not what I meant. Just kind of a run of the mill. It's like one of the most well, run of the mill movies we've seen so far. What's the it's plot not, of Marty? I don't think a lot of people are familiar. He's with. he's kind of an aging, which is funny. He's like twenty eight. <laughs> yeah. And everyone he's Bachelor. considered he's considered ugly. Um, everyone's married around him. Uh, he just all he wants to do is find a woman, and nobody even looks twice at him. Then he meets someone who everyone acts like is super ugly, but Betsy Blair was not not was, at you all. Know, she's not ugly at all. I mean, she's not like your typical, you know, she's not Deborah Kerr in 1930, but you know, she's pretty enough. Not and many people are. She, yeah, she was the same thing. You know, ugly according to the movie. Couldn't find someone. They get together, but nobody likes them being together. They think. They're too ugly for each other. The parents don't like blah blah blah. It's just, it's a one of those early Oscar, uh, one of those movie, uh, early movie formulas of mm-hmm. two people find love. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. It doesn't involve war. Doesn't involve anything crazy. Just nothing two with people the British Empire. Love. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Ernest Borgnine is great in The Wild yep. Bunch as well. It's another great movie. He's from great him. in Basketball. <laughs> you love that movie. You oh put that my in your god! Top so much. All right. Let's speaking of top ten, a movie that's not in my top ten best picture winners <laughs> of all time, but it's not horrible. No. Uh, going back to exploits of the British Empire, around the world in eighty days, starring my boy David Niven. Uh, what do you think about this movie? Again, I think a lot of stuff could have been cut, but I think this was like the most ambitious movie like ever made. They went to like so many different locations and traveled thousands and thousands of miles. Um, David Niven was great. He was perfect for, gosh, I can't think of his name. That's embarrassing. Either way. Uh, and like you said, we got introduced to Canton Floss, who was really funny. Mm-hmm. Like you, you were right. He, his things went on a little too far, but he was like literally the biggest movie star in the world. The highest he's paid a, movie star just, in the yeah, world. He's, he's a Mexican film star playing the French companion of whatever that character's name is. I'll tell you in two seconds. I know. Keep going. Yeah. And, uh, it, I think everyone knows the story. He bets someone he can go around the world in 80 days with all the, quote, new technology. And hot air other, balloons. Other than this the last 10 really minutes. This sells hot air balloons, and there's not that oh, many yeah. hot air balloons in them. <laughs> no, it's the, I mean, there was a infuriating last 10 minutes of the movie, but uh, I, it's a, I'm glad I watched it. Uh, it's got your girl, yeah. not Shirley my girl McLean. in it. Oh, I love her so much. Indian, Indian princess. Very strange choice. Yeah, India Indian, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, dots, not feathers. Yeah, uh, yeah. David Niven's playing Phileas Fogg. Phileas Fogg. Yep. Yeah, it's a pretty classic name. Yeah, I, the thing of it is, is like, yeah, they're like not all of the stops that they go to on this trip are created equal. Some are much stronger than others. Uh, Spain is amazing. There is a a shot of a of a performance of a band in Spain that is one of the best shots of any film on this list. It's like this continuous slow zoom out very very measured very patient but you, it reveals this ginormous room of people like playing music or enjoying the music and dancing and it, it's it's really incredible but I, I try to put myself back in like 1956 Brett and like to see this for like three hours would be amazing it'd be like literally like you know yeah for sure on National he, Geographic today you know, or something people didn't really travel like they do now I mean it was a lot mm-hmm. more expensive and you know you got to see all around the world it was really cool, really unique. So, yeah, I know I remember it well from 1957. <laughs> yeah, you're a pretty old man. You, you, in your days, it took like 180 days to go around the oh, world. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's move on to 1957's The Bridge on the River Kwai. I, so I watched this as part of the AFI, uh, project, but you have Alec Guinness, William Holden. Uh, what, what did you think about this? I, I enjoy it. Uh, directed by David Lean, uh, who's a monster, uh, but what, in a good way. But what, what did you think about The Bridge on the River I, th- I thought this was a great movie. Uh, yeah. I, again, I don't want to give too many spoilers. I, I did not like the ending. I took a half star off for it. but Like the ending, like the thing that makes the really famous thing happen? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought, I, I've never seen a William Holden movie before. I thought he was great. Obi-Wan. Yeah, Al Guinness was obviously awesome. Uh, I, I liked it. I thought they did a good job with the uh, Japanese, making them not too stereotypical. I thought Sesu Hayakawa was really mm-hmm. good as a a villain, but you come to respect him, and uh, it's got, I don't know, just good. Good movie. Everyone should watch it. Yeah, definitely a solid, definitely a, a classic, often referenced back-to-back uh, exploits of the British Empire. And like I mentioned, David Lean, first of two uh, movies for him to win Best Picture. But uh, speaking of a reoccurring theme, we have another musical set in Paris, uh, Gigi. Uh, Gigi. What did you think about Gigi? I actually, you know, I, I liked it. Um, you know, it's not definitely not the best musical, but I think you said something like the colors are... Mm-hmm. Really cool. It's funny that she plays like a 16 year old girl, uh, Leslie Caron, but she was in American in Paris seven years earlier. Was and, she the, like uh, the really young one in that? Yeah, or, she's the love yeah. interest. Yeah, so, and uh, she's like it, super young. In that. Everyone, if you if you watch this movie, it's very obvious that the Beauty and the Beast movie was very very heavily inspired by this movie. When you watch it, you'll understand the main mm-hmm. character's name is Gaston. Yeah, and the old man is Lumiere to a T, mm-hmm. and he said before it is, this inspired him. So, good one-time watch. Uh, some pretty funny songs, actually. Uh, some okay. forgettable songs, some cool songs, but yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of what happens in that club, kind of at the end, there's some great shots. Yeah, uh, in there, it reminds me a lot of the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's uh, Damien Chazelle's favorite movie. It's it's one of the greatest musicals ever made. But they both kind of leverage, like like, like I said, or like you said, really colorful interiors that just provide so much natural beauty in every shot. Like even if the dialogue's kind of shitty, like what I'm seeing is so pretty, I don't even really care. Um, but speaking of a visual spectacle, uh, a movie I think you love, and I actually like 
I do like quite a bit. Uh, 1959's Ben-Hur, um, massive movie, important movie. I actually feel like a lot of people haven't seen it because it's so long, but what did you think yeah. about it as we round out the 50s? Yeah, um, I probably, uh, this was definitely one of my favorite movies of the 50s. My wife and I watched it, and afterwards we both said to us, it's such a long movie, but we were never bored. And I think I think pretty much it, unanimously they'll talk about that chariot racing scene. It still looks good. It's super well done. It's, I don't know, it's a cool movie. I, I liked it, and uh, I liked putting in a little bit of religion into it, uh, because, I mean, Charlton Heston's a pretty religious guy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I liked it. I, I can see how other people might think it's boring and long, but uh, we just were always interested in it. I thought Charlton Heston was cool. You know what? I think of even more than the chariot scene, which is weird. I think of the scene on the boat when he's being made a slave to, and they have to row. Oh yeah, that's that, cool. That's like one of the visuals that always sticks out in my head. And yeah, I do, I do think it's interesting to just set a movie, it, like literally in the time that Jesus would have been alive, and that's just kind of happening over on the side. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's kind of like a really interesting idea. Like, I kind of wish more stories would have that. It's like a side story I about something. I love else is the awesome. shadow storyline. I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Mm-hmm. The lepers. I don't want to give too much away. You know, spoiler alert: seventy-year-old movie, but. Yeah. But yeah. All right, let's play a little bit of the chariot race while we run out the 50s and then we'll come back to starting the 60s. So, 1960, uh, we have the second appearance from Billy Wilder on this list. Uh, this is one of my favorite Best Picture winners of all time. It's in my top ten, flirts with my top five, The Apartment. Um, I love the setup and payoff in this film. I think Jack Lemmon gives a you know comedic masterpiece of a performance. Uh, Shirley MacLaine is amazing as well her character is put in a very tough position but the way she handles it is so phenomenal and in the final line i don't care spoil or shut up and deal is beyond iconic uh i love the way that the screenplay is written i think it's one of the best screenplays ever written um and this is kind of the movie that made me a massive billy wilder fan i, I guess this in sunset to or a double indemnity too but he, he's one of the best uh, what, what did you think about the apartment yeah, I didn't like this one as much as you did. I did like it. I did, it's just one of those movies where it, uh, all the characters, I hated all the characters pretty much. Um, I mean, obviously I like Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine was a really cool kind of quirky, but also like kind of tough, which makes it what happens to her towards the end even more incredible because she is tough. But uh, it was just it was one of those movies I would say is too frustrating for me to love. Oh, what do you mean? Like, the characters frustrate you? Just, it's such a awkward, frustrating... It's not like I... Okay, I, I liked it. I did. Um, it's just, I don't feel the same way about it as you. Um, I mean, that's just that. 
No, that's just that. And then the next movie is definitely that way. But for me, The Apartment is one to definitely circle if you haven't seen it. But Yeah, no, you should definitely watch it. It's funny. It's still funny. Like, you, you told me the humor still holds up, and it does. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just there's no, waste, there's no wasted space at all in the screenplay. You know what I mean? Like, every line has a consequence and, and has a meaning. And it's just so... Just so well written, I just I just love it. But but a movie that you love more than me, I, I like West Side Story, the nineteen sixty one Best Picture winner. But but you love it, so why don't you talk about your girl uh, Natalie Wood? Mm. Uh, yeah, I actually I watched this movie a long time ago, and I rewatched it Brett for Natalie Wood. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, and I rewatched it two nights ago, and I thought it was awesome. I thought the choreography was awesome. Uh, Natalie Wood is just. I think she's like amazing. She's gorgeous. Uh, I mean, it's sad. It's obviously a Romeo and Juliet uh, story. So, you know, spoiler alert. You know what happens in that one. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I can, mm-hmm. I can America, get it. America, best song for you? Yeah, the one on the roof? Yeah, yeah bah, 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 bah. Yeah. It's funny when you hear about like the actual lyrics from the stage production. They were like mm. R-rated, but mm-hmm. they couldn't get away with like any of it. Huh. Interesting. So, you know, they had to. I think there's going to be a lot of movies on this decade that we feel differently about. Yeah, this might be a, definitely a point of demarcation. Um, this is actually you have something in common with Michael Bay. This is legitimately one of his favorite movies of all time, and the way that the, there's a very kinetic camera in this movie, and it's it's so well done in West Side Story, but it's so overdone by Michael Bay. It's like he didn't quite learn the enough restraint yeah. from it but yeah I, I like West Side Story quite a bit I think it's one of my favorite musicals on this list but let's go to 1962 uh, let's get some more exploits of the British Empire uh, Lawrence of Arabia uh, this, this was definitely a seminal movie for me my sister and I rented it uh, kind of around the time the the 2008 uh, updated AFI list came out and like those two things like really got me into classic film uh, we have David Lean appearing for the second time but but what do you think about Lawrence of Arabia yeah this is a good one this is one of the earlier ones I watched um, long I know mm, you consider it I know you consider it one of the biggest travesties that Peter O'Toole did not win best actor for this I have not seen To Kill a Mockingbird but Peter O'Toole uh, was pretty awesome in this movie so he is awesome. I, I like To Kill a Mockingbird as well, but to me, Gregory Peck's kind of a one-note dude. I don't know if he does anything in that movie, especially after seeing Gentleman's Agreement. That, Same like, person. Blows me away. Yeah, whereas Peter O'Toole's performance, I mean, it's it's iconic. That's yeah, this Peter is good. Lord. This is my uh, the only movie I've ever seen with Omar Sharif in it. I thought he was awesome. This is a good movie. It's really long. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi makes his second appearance. appearance uh when you watch these kind of movies, do you watch the whole, like, uh, I don't even know how you say it, an entrance and, like, the overture and everything? Or do you fast forward through those musical parts? Most of the times I watch them, mm-hmm. uh, I probably watched them on this one as well. I'm a big fan of that just because I feel like if you're going to go balls out and do it, you might as well, you know, turn off the lights and play it and let it set the mood, but... I don't know. It, it, once you do that, like you better give me an intermission because it's going to be a long, long movie. But speaking of long, long movies, <laughs> 1963's Tom Jones. It's Woo! so bad. I hate it. You hate it. What do you remember about it that I, you hated? I think I remember saying something like, and now I don't want to even, it's not even on the same planet, but it's kind of like Monty Python 
with a bunch of mushrooms and crack at the same time thrown <laughs> into Robin Hood. It, it's yeah. just, it's so bad. I don't know what they were trying to do. It's, I think it's the most unique movie on this list. I mean, it's like truly the one movie. I think it doesn't fit with the other 89. It's just, it's just weird. It's so bad. It's so weird. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. It, it rambles, um, directed by Tony Richardson. Uh, so Tom Jones is like this, I guess, sort of spoiled. the most handsome man who ever yeah. lived. Yeah, he's spoiled. And he, it's just basically the story of his sexual escapades and like knocking up <laughs> a, a prostitute and um, almost having sex with his mom. Does he have sex with his mom? It's so weird. Um, there's the weirdest part, though, for me, Brett, was I, I've read that this is supposed to be a, an illusion, a tip of the hat to what was happening in, in France and the French New Wave, but the transitions between the scenes are inexplicably strange. <laughs> I don't remember. Worth, uh, yeah. I don't. This is like one of the hardest ones I had to watch. They're I, zany. They got like zips. And like, Z- zany is a perfect yeah. example. I mean, it's a perfect word. Susanna York was a babe, though. But yeah, that's about the only saving grace in this movie. Well, let's get away from Tom Jones into a musical that you love. Oh, yeah. I don't love quite as much as you. The Exploits of a British Street Urchin, uh, 1964 is my fair lady. Why do you love this movie so much, Brett? Number one, Audrey Hepburn. I, like my wife and I were talking about it. Uh, They fill her, cover her in grime and put her in ratty clothes, have dirt all over her face, and she's still drop dead gorgeous. I thought... I thought the humor was still really funny. Uh, the scene at the horse racing, I, I was like laughing out loud, which I don't think, I didn't think it was possible for a movie from 1964. This is my favorite musical of the Oscars. I just loved it. And I know you found it boring at times, but my wife and I just loved it. We fell in love with Audrey Hepburn and I thought Rex Harrison was really good as a, a huge jerk. So really mm-hmm. weird love story. A really weird yeah. age difference kind of threw that at you real quick but other than that I loved it mm-hmm. uh, why can't a woman be more like a man Brett <laughs> yeah that's uh, pretty would be pretty sexist for this time so I'm <laughs> other than that I'm not touching your question I mean no I don't yeah it's I, I just think that Audrey Hepburn's singing was a little grating for me well, to be honest it's not her voice it's the same yeah. person who sings for Natalie Wood in West Side Story but I just yeah it's a. Uh, it was the most expensive movie ever made at the time, I, I believe, as well. Oh. Right, it was a huge production. Um, but yeah, it's it is what it is. My favorite musical would probably be American in Paris, but this is probably my second favorite, which is saying a lot. Um, actually, well, this next musical, uh, 1964's, uh, or excuse me, 1965's, The Sound of Music. Uh, we have Robert Wise appearing for the second time. Uh, he co-directed West Side Story. I don't understand why on Letterboxd this movie is hated by all of the people who I respect their opinion on movies. Really? Yeah, do you? I always thought it was charming. Julie Andrews, it, Christopher Plummer. It is Plummer. charming. Yeah. Uh, well, no one hated it more than Christopher Plummer. Mm, why did he hate it? He he despised it forever, never did any interviews or reunions, and he finally did one. He hated it. He hated the movie. He hated his performance. He hated everything about it. They 
I I like it. I I always thought the songs were charming. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Pretty classic. I mean, they get yeah. stuck in your head, like mi so so re fa fa, do re mi fa so la ti. Yeah, and uh, my favorite things, unfortunately, get stuck in my head like no other song ever. But I like this movie. It was fun. Yeah, it's a fun, lighthearted movie. It's very long. I think some of the criticisms are like the Nazi stuff, but I don't. It it's I don't know. I think it's good. Uh, let's go to 1966's. A man for all seasons. Uh, exploits of the Church of England we have here. Uh, what really sticks out to me is the uh, uh, costumes and the production design. This is you have Fred Zimmerman. This is his second. What did he direct? What else did he direct? Uh, From here to eternity as well. So, uh, yeah. What do you think of uh, What do you think of A Man for All Seasons? I probably like this a lot more than you did. Um, this really? is one of my early ones. I thought. I honestly thought Paul Schofield was like one of the ultimate scene stealers. I mean, I Who's even he thought Is he the he's the main character. Yeah, he's okay. Thomas More. Thomas More. Um, I even thought he stole the scene with Robert Shaw in the scene where Robert Shaw was like unbelievably awesome and being Robert Shaw. I thought he was like quiet brilliance throughout the whole movie. Um, I really liked it, and it's got Orson Welles in it. <laughs> it does have Orson Welles in it, which is really <laughs> weird, but. Yeah. Um, he does not look like he did in Citizen Kane, for sure. Oh, the French. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I like this movie a lot, so. Yeah, I don't know. I can take it or leave it. But let's go to uh, 1967's In the Heat of the Night. This is like one of Stevie's, that, the TV adaptation of this is like one of Stevie, host Stevie's <laughs> favorite shows. <laughs> uh, I think the acting's great, but the, the whole plot overall is just meh to me like, as far as the murder itself goes uh, what would you think Sidney Poitier uh, in the heat of the night I think about the same thing I thought Sidney Poitier was really cool um, I've awesome. never seen him before uh, Rod Steiger was good kills it um, you know best probably uh, well deserved best actor award yeah this movie uh, it, it was just good I mean not great not bad uh, mm-hmm. that's it I mean what else can I say? It was just good. Nothing, nothing stood out. I mean, they call me Mr. Tibbs. I mean, yeah, iconic. that's like a super famous. Yeah, line. it's iconic, yeah. but that was cool too. And again, he was cool, but yeah, just I think it almost probably works better as a TV show because you get to see more them of their develop. relationship. They, yeah, yeah. This was just kind of like it's like Beverly Hills Cop, but not as good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, that was 1967's Best Picture winner, No, but no Beverly Hills Cop in the Heat of the Night. 1968, I don't like boys' choirs. I have determined this, and I'm so (laughs) tired of the exploits of British street urchins. Uh, (laughs) Oliver, uh, based on uh, Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist. Uh, I mean, some iconic scenes with more, you want more? More? Yeah. I don't know, what did you remember from this? Uh, I know we had a slight disagreement about, I thought, the guy who played, the kid who played, uh, gosh dang it, what's his name? Oliver Reed? Oliver Reed, the Artful Dodger? Arf, no, yeah, not not Oliver yeah. Reed, the Artful Dodger. The I thought Dodger, he was great. Yeah. He actually got nominated for an Oscar. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, those songs, I like the songs. I mean, I, I went around singing, consider yourself at home, like, for a week after I watched the movie. Other than that, it's just it's just good. It's not great, not bad. Just, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's just decent. There. It probably would be a really good stage show to watch. 
I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Certainly wouldn't recommend it. But yeah, it's it is what it is. Just another one of those uh, '60s musicals that won Best Picture. Uh, yeah, big musical decade. Let's go to 1969. Brett, everybody's talking at me, but I don't hear a word they're saying. Midnight Cowboy, Dustin Hoffman, John Voight, famously parodied in Seinfeld with Frasier. Um, not sorry, with Kramer. Uh, this movie's kind of a downer. Yeah, I mean, this movie is very highly rated, very high, very highly ranked. I just, it didn't blow me away at all. I thought, I thought Dustin Hoffman was good. There's uh, two appearances for him, right? This and Kramer and Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, John Voight was good. It was weird seeing him in a role like that because I grew up with him as being like the bad guy, always. Uh, you know, it's got the iconic "I'm walking here." I'm it, it was here. it was just okay and it yes it was a super downer yeah it was you know, uh nothing like, special it was almost rated x right or it was it rated was rated x, x. it's yeah, the only yeah. only one to ever win rated x but the even that like the uh shock value there i don't think holds up today and i think sometimes the academy especially around what's going to happen now from 1969 through the 70s is they're going to move away from rewarding the best production value and now it's going to become a more gritty interesting time uh, for these best picture winners and this is probably the first of those of those films that are really gritty and and kind of dirty in a lot of ways um let's go to 19 the 1970s the goat uh, the goat goat decade definitely for sure uh we kick off with george c scott one of my favorite scrooges uh my favorite in Patton. Uh, the opening scene for me, Brett, is so iconic. But then the whole thing's kind of very indicative of the rest of the film. It kind of nosedives, and even even Patton's career. Like, I know you can't make stuff up, but it's it's so sad that it was undone by just that one slap. Yeah. Yep. And after that happens, I mean, the, the story doesn't have a lot to to say, but it keeps going on for for quite a bit of time. Uh, what do you think about Patton? You know what? You're going to have to fill in a lot of blanks for me. I watched this movie when I was in college. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, I saw it pretty recently. So, I mean, yeah, it's George C. Scott's performance is, is fucking amazing. Yeah. I do remember of, of that. Course. And yeah. Perfect, it reminded me perfect of, cast for Patton. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of Vice, which I just saw, not in the way that it's edited at all, but in the way that it's it's cautiously telling the story of this of this very powerful man. Uh Patton is a very complex character and the film depicts him that way but but yeah again spoiler alert for history he slapped one of his soldiers and that's kind of his undoing right when he was on the edge of, of commanding <clears throat> excuse me right when he was on the edge of yeah, yeah, com- yeah commanding five star most glorious battle yeah so yeah it's okay I, I would say that yeah get hyped for the first scene because it's so iconic uh, him talking from that yeah, flag but it's, flag, it's kind yeah. of all downhill from there, but it's been parody. It's been parody a lot. Yeah, you you've seen it, but let's uh, go to the nineteen seventy one. Like I said, we're in a grittier, darker time, and a film that embodies this definitely is the French Connection, starring Gene Hackman. You love this movie, right? And Roy Schreider, my boy from Jaws. Roy Schreider, yeah, I I did, but man, 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 did I hate this ending like <laughs> so much. Now I found out they did a French Connection too, and they tied up some of that. But, man, yeah. I, I was so ready to give this movie four and a half, five stars. It's so gritty. Roy Scheider is so good. Gene Hackman as Popeye is, like, iconic. Mm-hmm. And the French bad guy was so, like, kind of 
not in the forefront of the movie, but so made him even better, in my opinion. I just hated the ending so much. Um, but yeah, this is this is a good. It's a kind of an expansive story. I mean, it's called the French Connection, but you don't. I didn't anticipate it being as as big of a story as it was. As he investigates the crime and the way that you know, picking your feet in Poughkeepsie, all time classic line. Uh, Roy Schreider's you know caution as he sees Gene Hackman kind of it's not spiraling out of control, but like pushing the the envelope. It's just so so iconic, and of course that. That car chase uh, underneath the yeah, subways. and I don't yeah. like car chases, but that is like the most legit car chase ever. Did I get more than the one in Drive? You just watched Drive at the beginning of Drive. <laughs> Drive was pretty good, and so was the uh, the Born Identity. Those are all good car chases. Hell yeah! Well, the next movie, nineteen seventy two. I wouldn't call it a good movie. It's just okay. Uh, I'll the, kill you. The God, <laughs> the Godfather. Uh, I think we both have this as our best best picture winner of all time i don't know what else we can say about it but yeah i mean we don't have to talk too much about that i mean i personally i think it's the greatest movie ever made um it's in my top five favorite movies of all time i while i understand people i don't get the whole godfather 2 but being better but to each their own i think everything godfather 2 does godfather 1 does better i think it's brilliant i think I, you know what? I'm just going to stop because I could talk about this movie all day. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's perfect in, in so many visual details ways. Yeah, it's it's great. If you haven't seen The Godfather, that's probably a stop. And do it. <laughs> uh, directed by the guy who directed Jack, Francis Ford Coppola. So. I did find out something a little interesting about The Godfather. Apollonia, she was 16 at the time of this movie. That's a big no-no nowadays. Interesting. It kind of ties into our Francis Ford Coppola theory, but I'll leave that at that. Go listen to Jack if you want to hear more about our why we're going to get sued by Francis Ford Coppola. But then we have this weird 1973 year. It's it's not. It is a movie about crime, but I wouldn't call it gritty or dirty in the same way the French like Connection a, like or Caper almost like yeah, a, the Godfather are. What are we talking yeah, about, Brett? Yeah, The Sting. I like this movie more than you, and I know one of your big hangups is, and I actually agree with you. This movie's not as good as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which came out four years earlier. Now, it's actually higher rated um, in pretty much everything I've seen. It's a it's classic. I've seen, though. Unless people have seen this thing compared to Butch right. Cassidy. And yeah. I think it's got, a, it's got a really cool twist. Robert Shaw is like a great bad guy. I mean, you can't really go wrong with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. But yeah, it's kind of a stopgap between two of the greatest movies of all time. So it's kind of always going to be forgotten. Plus... It gets overshadowed by Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because they're so good in that movie together. So. Yeah, I think I think that's why a lot of people do kind of rate this a little bit lower. You know, I don't see many five star ratings for The Sting because it is kind of more of this lighthearted caper in between all these gritty movies, like we mentioned. But yeah, Paul Newman is one of my favorite actors. Robert Redford, first of two appearances for him. Um, yeah, it's it's a solid movie. Like you should see yeah. The Sting. But all right, let's. I do kind of want to spend a, a second on this parsing. We talked about the Godfather. We're in 1974. It's the Godfather part two. It's Francis Ford Coppola's second appearance on this list. And the same for, of course, uh, Pacino. His first uh, Oscar though. First Oscar, uh, Diane Keaton. Here's, here's my thing. And, uh, Robert De Niro's first appearance. Um, I think that the Godfather part two has a couple moments where the ceiling is higher than the Godfather part one. I, I think that everything that happens with De Niro is pretty sweet. It's cool. It's, um, and I think that the 
the the speech that Diane Keaton gives to Al Pacino about what really happened to their baby is it, it gives me chills. But I think it, we're, we're parsing the greatest films ever made, and for me, the editing between the past De Niro story and Pacino and going to Cuba and everything it feels like a little bit more haphazardly put together whereas The Godfather is this perfect pyramid of a film that crescendos to its conclusion guys do some deep research into what they had to go through to make The Godfather it's just I think it'll make you love it and respect it even more I mean Francis Ford Coppola was the 13th choice he almost got fired he just made this like he, he asked people to believe in him and he they they believed in him and this is what you got it's just a master again Godfather 2 like I always say there's a scene when uh, Michael finds out that Freddy was involved I think it's like the best scene of pure acting I've ever seen Well, and all he does is turn around and look at some guy and come back I mean if you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about I think it's amazing. It's like the best scene of pure acting. But again, I think The Godfather is better all around. I think Brando is better than Robert De Niro. So, I mean, two two great movies and Francis Ford Coppola. Are, yes. He knows a lot about uh, troubled productions, uh, which comes up later. A film that doesn't make the list, Apocalypse Now. But we're into 1975. Uh, the second film ever to win the Big Five, One Flew yep. Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, for lead actor, lead actress, uh, Jack Nicholson. Um, Milos Forman directing. I this is a movie that I first saw when I was very young. I saw it uh, in I think elementary school or junior high, and then I rewatched it for a high school psychology class, and I watched it one more time in college. Um, I'm always I'm so drawn into Jack Nicholson. He appears on this list several times, but uh, I I like it quite a bit. I think it is one of the best, and I think it's the story of of. American, you know, mental health is something that's still yeah. kind of being told today, which is, is pretty interesting. Uh, I, would, I think I like One Flew a little bit more than you. Is that is that true? I gave this five stars. I thought it was a masterpiece. Oh, I thought it was awesome. great. Awesome. Uh, Nicholson is just like at his most iconic. And now, one thing about it, though, and my wife and Danny I agree DeVito. on this, we think Louise Fletcher is one of the most overrated. Now, she's great in the movie, but like I've seen her as like the second biggest movie villain of all time and she doesn't really do anything bad super bad until like the very end Mm. i'm just saying i I picture i i I get i it's open for interpretation i get it she's just just no nonsense i mean she's not even like she's not even like a evil hag queen she's just Mm. i don't know she was great talking about we're talking about nurse ratchet uh ratchet yeah i would say that She's frustrating in the same way True. Charles Langdon, right, was frustrating in Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, Lawton, yeah. Where, yeah, whereas where like you have this uh, free spirited protagonist, and I say the man, you know, in quotes, the the system uh, is is keeping him down, and that's kind of that taps into something that I think everyone kind of feels like that you can't just be free and goof off you have like these constant your boss or something it's it's like that frustrating teacher or boss type character who just kind of makes your life shitty that that makes you yeah. so evil in a lot of ways you know and I mean? you're like so you're so rooting for uh randall the whole time that mm-hmm. like, you by default hate new nurse ratchet i'm just saying she's not like you know 
Dracula or Terminator or anything like that. I mean, she's just, she's just, I don't know, whatever. Great movie, yeah. though. I loved it. Danny Great DeVito. Movie. Danny DeVito, yep. Yeah. Uh, definitely deserving of winning. Christopher uh, Lloyd. The Big Five. I love, I love the Big Five. I love that little fact. But let's go to 1976's Rocky. <laughs> what do you think, Brett? Of Rocky? Oh, great, great sports movie. Do you give it five I, stars? Is it a five star movie for you? It is not. I, dude, I don't know. It's so good. I just, I, I tried to rank it on a better scale. I actually dropped it before tonight. But I was hasty. A great movie. I love this movie. It's it's so I love the story of it. It's like a true underdog story, and the making of the movie was a true underdog story. Great Absolutely. story about how the movie was made. Thank thank you, Sylvester Stallone, for being tough and sticking to your guns. Because without it, this movie would this franchise would have been nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's pretty crazy that that a sports movie did win Best Picture. I mean. It's when I was a kid. I remember the first time I saw Rocky. I don't think I've ever been like that pumped up in my life. You know what I mean? No, like, yeah, you're right. This was back. I think this was like in junior high, cross country. And I think like literally the next practice, like I fucking ran out of my mind just from seeing Rocky. Like I was so jacked up. And like any movie that can do that, I think is deserving of of five stars for me. But but you're right. I mean, it's the ending is classic, and it's really. The, the heart of the movie, the reason why it's such a great sports movie is, is it's really a, a love story. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways yeah. between uh, be- Rocky and Adrian. And it beat, I mean, it's like a heavyweight Oscar. I mean, it's like one of the biggest underdogs. Oh, I mean, it's it, one of the biggest years. It beat, it beat all the President's Men Network and Taxi Driver. I mean, that is a upset. Big to time. be honest, I would probably be fine with any of those winning over Rocky, but I think it's really cool that Rocky won. You know what I mean? Yeah, real quick, can we, just for like five seconds, can we talk about how amazing 1975 was in film? Yeah, please. Uh, now, I haven't seen all these, but I know he, from everything I've seen about him, you got One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest beat, Barry Lyndon, who you love, Classic, that's Kubrick. five stars, yeah. Maybe, maybe Dog, his best movie. Dog Day Afternoon. Classic. Uh, um, Al Pacino. Who, who directed that? Who directed... Uh, uh, Martin Bregman and Martin Elfin. And then one of the greatest, if not the best blockbuster of all time, Jaws, five-star movie. And then you got a movie you loved, I believe, called Nashville. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's just a monster year. Back up back up one second. So, okay, Sidney Lumet directed uh, Dog Day Afternoon, one of the best, one of my favorite movies. It's so compact and awesome. And yeah, Nashville, Brett, you'd love Nashville. I wish you'd watch it. I've been telling you to watch it for like two years now. Yeah, I got to watch all those movies. Uh, I mean, again, I've seen Jaws, which is just unbelievable. But I know that you have like all those pretty much five-star movies. So that's just a, a monster year with a lot of big time. So you got Spielberg, Kubrick, Foreman. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just massive. So I and just then- wanted to... No, that's that what I call it, because like the seventies are the best decade in film, and like oh yeah, for sure, it's so awesome. I get a lot of these gritty, hard movies, and and what really facilitated that was the invention of the R rating. And what's a very oh sorry, well, well I almost skipped one. It is an R rated movie, not a very R rated movie, but nineteen seventy seven's Annie Hall. Um, I love Woody Allen uh, in this movie. I love the his comedy i'm a huge fan of it um he's kind of a creep in real life but diane keaton is so amazing in this movie her third appearance on this list uh i don't know have we ever talked about woody allen how do you feel about woody allen brett 
in this movie? Yeah, in this movie. Or well, as a, be, or as an artist, we'll save the other stuff. I, you know what? I've only seen this movie, and before, even still, probably before I watched Casablanca, I would probably put this as the second best best picture winner. It's in my top ten. Yeah. I think it's it, it's super short. It's super funny, super well written. It's like he breaks the fourth wall. It's just awesome. I loved everything about this movie. It blew me away. Well edited, yeah. And I know that unfortunately, I don't believe he ever got like made a movie this good again. If I'm not mistaken, uh, was but, Manhattan before this or after this? I forget. That's uh, yeah. I think that was after, but I really don't know. But yeah, yeah. this is great. This is this would be easily in my top five um, mm-hmm. Oscar movies. So yeah, great movie. Gotta love his neur- neuroticism. Um, and, yeah, so- and, yeah, and it's super awkward because it's about Diane Keaton, who he had dated before this movie had, was made, and they broke up. I mean, Annie mm-hmm. Hall, Diane Keaton's nickname was Annie, so it's literally about their relationship after they broke mm-hmm. up. Yeah, definitely great. Like, kind of inside the mind of of the director there. But <laughs> I, this is what I trying to tra- this is what I was trying to uh, transition to earlier with the yeah. gritty and guttiness. Uh, 1978's <laughs> The Deer Hunter. Uh, dude, the funniest thing that you've ever said to me is like the way you described it was the most dehydrating movie of all time. <laughs> I forgot I said that. Yeah, it's, they're my dude, gosh, I think about that all the time. It's so funny. They're just out sweating, not drinking water, drinking beer for like <laughs> 80 hours in a row. Literally and they're out hunting. Shit. I'm like, they're cramping up. I guarantee mm-hmm. they're cramping up. Oh, it's man. a bizarre story structure because the it's literally like the first hour and a half is like a wedding or the lead up to a wedding and a wedding. Like Way too Godfather. long of a wedding. Way too yeah. long of a wedding. And um, then we get into uh, what happens in, in Vietnam and, and then Robert De Niro coming back. Uh, Christopher Walken won uh, an Oscar for his performance in this film. Back to back best p- picture per, uh, appearances for Christopher Walken. He has that great part in Annie Hall where he wants to tip, turn into the headlights and he uh, wins <laughs> the Oscar for this role. Um, I guess we. I sent you a link to a YouTube video um that was kind of describing this why is this important in the in the history of best picture winners uh yeah it's because uh this was i believe the first uh what did they do they waited man i'm drawing a they, blank like, released it and like like you said to, to qualify for the oscars they released in like one theater in yeah, LA. small theaters yep and then yeah they Went waited until it got awards yep After. and then they did a wide release so it'd make a lot more money and uh I mean, it kind of changed the industry a, a little bit mm-hmm. for some movies. Yeah, plus I mean, it was anti-war, like, and a really right after the the war got over. So it's yeah, pretty. It's, it's 1978, and they're showing like hardcore scenes of torture. You know what I mean? That had to have been like people's legs blown off, PTSD, like crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christopher Walken just—I mean, you go from like the coolest character in the movie, like the most fun-loving to what he becomes. I don't want to give it a spoiler, but I think if you don't know the Rush roulette scenes by now, then you don't know anything about movies. So It's it's so well known, but I think it does hold up. Uh, Robert De Niro, we said making his second appearance. Christopher Walken going back to back, but Meryl Streep also has a small part in the beginning of, of the film. I like film. her in this movie. I love her in this movie. Yeah. And she, she goes back to back with 1979's Kramer versus Kramer. Uh... Look, I'll be honest. I think Apocalypse Now is in my like top five greatest films 
ever made, uh, especially when you hear the story behind the production of Getting It Made, but it's an absolute masterpiece. But one thing I've learned, Brett, is that we shouldn't hate the movies right. that are recognized by awards just because the one we wanted didn't win. Wanted to win. Yeah, Kramer. exactly. And you're about to get a lot of that, especially with the next one, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's talk for a second about, you brought it up, 79 was a monster year in film too. Kramer vs. Kramer, Apocalypse Now, and Alien. Mm-hmm. All came out, but I thought this was a I thought this was a great movie. I gave Kramer vs. Kramer five stars as well. Uh, it's very frustrating. You just you learn to hate Meryl Streep, and it's it's like it's weirdly considered a courtroom drama, but only about what forty five yeah. minutes. Not much, or, yeah. But it's it just shows it actually did a lot for dads. Mm-hmm. Um, the perception of what dads could be, uh, you know, because you got in the fifties, you got these kind of cold but loving fathers and the mother was the one that was really loving and then this kind of showed that hey dads can be great parents too when they're single it it just got like a really good performance by a kid um oscar nominated i believe justin henry it's a good movie i really i really really like this movie this is ends easily my opinion the best decade for best pictures Yep, yeah, rounding it out. And I, I misspoke earlier. Dustin Hoffman's in three Best Picture winners, Midnight Cowboy, Kramer vs. Kramer, and Rain Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Midnight. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's, it's really solid. Five stars is, f- five stars fuck. I would give the Oscar to either Alien or Apocalypse now before this, but, but you just think about the scenes in like the kitchen and then making breakfast. And yeah, it, it is more of a movie to me about parenthood, even more so than divorce, even though it's kind of, those go hand in hand in this film, but I mean, yeah, literally the title is about, yeah, that pretty yeah. much, but, mm-hmm. but, but you mentioned we have two, two of perhaps the most controversial t- wins, at least of this time period, for sure. Of this little era, uh, we go to this 1980 yeah. upsetting raging bull, uh, ordinary people directed by Robert Redford, who, who appeared in the sting. So it's his second appearance on this list. Okay. It's no raging bull, but this movie is so touching and so beautiful and so gut wrenching. It's I'm not mad that it beat Raging Bull personally. Uh, what, what are your feelings on ordinary people? Uh, same. I mean, I thought this was a great movie. Um, it's you know people make jokes about it. We have a friend who made a joke about it, but you know it doesn't matter what kind of person you are. People feel pain, and this is a perfect example of a nice, happy family whose whole world is torn apart. And just how each one of them deals with it. You have the optimistic dad who tries to not show his pain. You got the bitter, bitter mother. And you have the son who blames himself. I mean, it just shows a perfect family torn apart by uh, a really sad death. And I thought this was a great movie. Uh, Judd Hirsch is great. Timothy Hutton, I mean, this is definitely his career peak. He won Best Supporting Actor and I don't think ever reached these heights again. I know he was in like Reds or, or Toy Soldiers or something like that, but great movie. Robert Redford did a masterful job. Mm. And you love your girl. So my girl, Mary Tyler Moore, is in it. She It's so jarring because the character she plays in, in the show with the cold. title of her name, Mary Tyler Moore, shows, she's so nice and she's so such a cold, mean woman in this movie. Yep, <laughs> she is. She's very unloving and yeah. Anti-therapy uh, <laughs> tough, to, tough to like, but the eighties are are definitely. It's a weird decade for best picture winners. Did it really agree? is, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a weird, it's a weird one. Uh, but also, I mean, following the seventies, I mean, come on, what are you gonna do? 
It's tough. Yeah, tough to follow. So we get to 1981, following ordinary people, chariots of fire. Uh, we have running in the British Empire. Um, I don't know. I, I'm the score is so iconic and it's used so sparingly. That was pretty jarring for me yeah. when I saw it. There's too many storylines going on, and it doesn't. I, I I was a runner, like I, like I mentioned, I did like cross country and track and stuff, and I and I wanted this to be my Rocky, and it's just not. It just doesn't pump me up in the same way at all. What do you think about Chariots of Fire? I did. I, I actually I like this movie. Um, it's it's a movie that takes a true story, and it's kind of a selective storytelling. I mean, the the big race he wins at the end was actually done like a week before. You know, he'd already won one. It, it, it's it's enjoyable. You're right. The score. I mean, shoot, they could have played like 40 more times and they would have been like awesome. It worked every time. Yeah. Every time. Every time. It And uh, it's a cool movie. It's about religion and anti-Semitism. Um, mm-hmm. It's a nice blend of everything. It wasn't like brilliant or anything, but it's a fun, fun movie, sports movie. Yeah, it's it's not. Like, Rocky is definitely the king of, of sports movies, but uh, I Chariots of Fire, it's it's out there. I, I wouldn't, not one I would circle. Um, one that I go back and forth if I want to circle or not. 1982's Gandhi. I gave this an outstanding rating on Letterbox, but dude, it's so long. Exploits of the British Empire. I, it's Ben Kingsley kills it. I love the Gandhi's message. I don't know how accurate this movie is to history, but I, I, I really like it as far as a biopic goes. What would you think about Gandhi? You know what? Um, my, I know my rating probably bothered you. I have not seen it in a while. It's definitely time for reviewing. You watched it like in high school, right? You said no. Right? I actually I watched it when I was working at the junior high as okay. a paraprofessional. Uh, but they were watching it, you know, like on Monday. They watched some Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, Monday, Tuesday. Um, I don't know if there's ever been a a person more perfect for a role. Except for maybe George C. Scott as Patton, as Ben Kingsley was for Gandhi. Yeah, it it is very long. It Richard Attenborough directed. Yep, Sir Richard Attenborough. Yep, um, I believe Martin Sheen is in it too. Correct? Martin Sheen is in it. He just pops up out of nowhere. I'm just keeping him for like Saga, <laughs> Mumbai. Yeah, it tells a cool story about you know they fight for into, they fight for freedom and then they finally get it and then they decide to break again between you know. Muslim and Hindi it's just it's a cool and sad time and I thought they did a pretty good job of that it's long it's boring by nature but it's definitely worth another rewatch for me yeah I'm, I'm always a fan of a scene where someone and we get this in Darkest Hour where, where someone is making usually a political figure a rousing speech and you get to see the reactions of the people in Congress or in the audience and Gandhi has has one of those which is is really great but um so, 1983, we have Jack Nicholson's second appearance on this list. Shirley MacLaine's third appearance on this list. Uh, Terms of Endearment. Um, we had some. We had some chats. We had quite a few chats about this one. That's um, pretty divisive in this group. Yeah. I okay. So for me, I don't like it just because one. I, okay, I'm going to spoil this. Shirley MacLaine slaps her grandchild at the end and it's such a jarring character moment that it doesn't feel like it fits in this movie like i'm not saying that like shirley mcclain's a very frustrating character in this movie and if she she's going to be the bad guy but we have this whole redemption arc for her as we watch her daughter's condition deteriorate we have to see that it's just 
one, that's just too much. It really put a bad taste in my mouth. Like, if she would have slapped the kid early on in the movie, you would have been like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Because she's kind of a cold, mean mother who's bitter about, you know, what her daughter has done her whole life. Then at the end, yeah, she starts, you know, Jack Nicholson and, and her make each other better people. And then, wham. It's just, it's really weird. Jeff, and, and, and the second thing that really frustrates me is Deborah Winger's relationship with Jeff Daniels is she's so pathetic in the film. Like he's such a sleazy yeah. guy and like she never like you just want her to like stand up for herself or do something and she never does and it's super I don't know, it's super frustrating and it's I feel like it's the film almost kind of like gives Jeff Daniels' character a pass. Like eh, Oh yeah. You know, so. And then he just like abandons his kids and everything. It's just it's really crazy. He really is. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. And I I don't know. It's and also it's about. I mean, maybe I just can't connect to it too because it's about a woman, uh, a mom, and a daughter, and I'm not either of those. So right. I don't and know. I I like the dynamic between the two women, and I actually, I especially like it because the two women hated each other in real life. They've like Deborah Winger used to like fart when they right before they do scenes just to try to make sure the McLean mad. I mean, they like they did not respect each oh, other. Mama. And, <laughs> but I thought they had good chemistry. And Danny DeVito, mm. the second movie he's in. Yeah, that's weird that he. I would. You don't think of Danny DeVito as a two-time Best Picture winner appearance <laughs> no. actor. Uh, what do you think he's about Jack actor, in this though. movie? Yeah, what do you think about Jack in this movie playing an astronaut? <laughs> I do like Jack in this movie. It seems kind of he's almost not a out fucking of place. astronaut, Brett. Jack no, Nicholson is not an astronaut. I don't and, care. And then here you go, Oscar bait. He's a raging alcoholic. Yeah. Boom. And a womanizer. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this got him his second Oscar, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, it is it is what it is. I mean, I love Jack, so I'll, I'll watch anything he's in. Um, but a movie that I do also love, and a movie that Stevie hates, uh, Milos Forman's second time on this list, 1984's Amadeus. 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 Not historically accurate in any way, shape, or form. No, actually, um, it's so funny. Like, Solieri or whatever and Amadeus were actually friends. Yeah. You know, maybe somewhat rivals, but friendly rivals. But F. Murray Abraham kills in anything he's ever been in, so. Absolutely, yeah. I love the music in this. Are you, do you like classical music? I mean, I don't think we ever even talked about that. Do you, do you um, appreciate Mozart? I do appreciate it. Uh, I liked, I used to like to listen to it when I studied. Um, but, and also, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Tom Halsey, whatever, is like the perfect little spoiled punk, little yeah, Mozart, like perfect casting. Mm-hmm. He's from Animal House. Who would ever thought? Weird thing about Amadeus is that the director's cut is much more prevalent today than the theatrical release. Have you noticed oh, yeah. that? It's hard to find, like on all the streaming stuff, it's almost always the director's cut. I had to actually have both on DVD. I got it from a DVD shop, so that's how I have them, but, but yeah, it's I, the director's cut adds a little bit more music. Um, I think that was, it is kind of a bloated story. It's a big story, but I, I appreciate the production design at all, at all the turns. Um, I hated Mozart's wife. <laughs> Why'd you hate her, Brett? I hated when she came back into the story and she's like, yeah, you can leave. Like, <laughs> you left. You left him. It didn't matter. Was he sick or an alcoholic or both? I think both. But I'm okay. not sure. I think actually no. I think it was more sick, but maybe sickness from alcohol, from living hard. Mozart, Mozart partied, bro. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of bloated 
uh, movies like I mentioned ago. <laughs> I, I had to start 1985's Out of Africa, not once, not twice, but three times, because I wanted to give it a fair chance. And I would get far in the movie. I would get like 20, 30 minutes in and it's like, no, I can't, I cannot do how this many, right now. How many of your hated Oscar tropes are in like the first six seconds of the movie? It's all it's of like them. It's story British a story. British exploits, voiceover, story to story. It's yeah. all it's all of them. Meryl Streep. I had two brothers. One was my lover and one was my friend. <laughs> I heard that so many times. I got so pissed off. It's okay. Out of Africa, the first hour and a half sucks. Then Robert Redford shows up, yeah, and Meryl Streep. He's the man. This, yeah, and his like third appearance now on this list. Him and Meryl Streep, or Meryl Streep and him, have this uh, will they, won't they kind of hour, and it's by far the strongest part of the film and then he leaves the film and it starts to suck again in in my opinion what do you you think about out of africa we we actually liked it my wife and i um i mean it gets long it's boring she's very good at it obviously she's meryl streep robert redford like you said they they needed more redford every time he'd come in you'd be like awesome then he'd like leave and you knew he was gonna be gone for like a year and you're like oh god but uh yeah boring not a lot to go with it but you know she's dynamite. I don't. I'm not even a big street fan, but she's dynamite in it. It it, it made the best. It did as good as it could with the material. Mm-hmm. It's a bore. Just a boring story about a a real life woman. But yeah, so. I mean, like, I said that earlier. But like, really, Streep and Redford, they're fucking dynamite when they're on screen yeah. together. Like, you can't. I can't take that away from this movie. It's it's awesome. It's so good. So let's go to 1986's. Uh, Platoon, directed by Oliver Stone, starring our friend Charlie Sheen, a friend of the podcast. <laughs> by the way, none of these films will count for the, the official spoilers movie club. This is a special Oscar spoilers, but Charlie Sheen, William Defoe, who, who's on the, the cover and most of the posters, reaching up into the sky. It's a, it's a very middle-of-the-road Vietnam yeah. film for me. It's got some cool... Uh, it's got some good acting in it. I mean, the dynamic between Tom Berger and Willem Dafoe is pretty good. Willem Dafoe is great in it. I wish he was in it longer. Spoiler alert, he's not in it very long. Um, yeah, it's dark. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not, I, I'm, I've always been a much bigger World War II fan than I am of, <laughs> a um, fan of Vietnam. You're, you're like, like, you know, movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just kidding. This sure, is yeah. just, you know, uh, uh, Vietnam movies don't blow me away. And this one was good and dark, and Oliver Stone did a good job, but it's not. I've actually seen it like five times. I don't know really? why I've watched it that many times, but. That's weird. I always think of the scene in the tent with the Christmas lights, right? And like smoking weed. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that always sticks out the most for me in this movie. But yeah, it's just okay. I don't have a lot to say about Platoon. Do you, I mean, do you have a favorite part of Platoon? I didn't know. I've seen it five times. That's crazy. It's, but it's been over time. Um, gosh, I don't know. I love John Cena again. He's like, come on, Bob. He just wants to go home so bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, like, all those sissies, like, hide. There's so many scenes in that movie I hate. Mm-hmm. Like, the, oh, the, the guy falls asleep, but he blames Charlie Sheen. Man, that guy is such a dick. He, he has the weirdest death ever. He, like, runs into, like, I don't know, a knife on a tree or something? <laughs> yeah. But no, I don't really have a favorite scene. It's just... Yeah, the scene that you're talking about. It's like the the most fun scene. And right, the rest yeah. of them were all like the horrors of Vietnam, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just the one I always say. I haven't seen this movie actually in several years. I, just, I saw it once in uh, late college. Um, 
and then just never really watched it again. So yeah, uh, I don't blame you. Sp- I mean, speaking of a movie with a lot of scenes I didn't like, dude, yeah. the, the Last Emperor, 1987's Best Picture winner. I feel like there's so much potential, and like the first hour is everything I thought it would. This movie yeah. was because you always see like the little kid on the poster, the young emperor, and then it just keeps going on and on, and, and there's no like emotional heart to the story or i don't care about any of the characters peter o'toole shows up for the second time i i don't like it really that much what do you think of no. the last emperor no it's way too long and i missed doing the drive podcast because i was watching this 14 hour long movie that wasn't very good so i mean like you said the beginning part's pretty cool learning about the emperor and then like you just hate the emperor more and more he becomes more and more of a spoiled rotten punk drug addict Wait, no, his wife's a drug addict. But wife's a drug it's addict. Just, it's just not. It's there's not much to it, man. He has two wives, which is yeah. But the other one like was super depressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just yeah, there's not much to it. Like I don't know, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel after watching the films. I mean, it is educational. I did kind of learn about. Yeah, it's, I it's to look not up more terrible. About it. It's yeah. just bah. The runtime doesn't justify anything that you get out of the film, for no. sure. So. Uh, we mentioned Dustin Hoffman. Here he is in, in the third appearance here, Rain Man. Um, what, what do you think about Rain Man? This is a movie I grew up with. Uh, I mean, I think it's his... I loved him in Kramer and Kramer, but this was like his best role. Um, Tom Cruise plays a perfect douchey brother. Um, the, you know, learning their chemistry. I mean, like we literally used to say, maybe it's not great to say nowadays, but we used to quote like a lot of the lines, let's just say the lines from that movie, you know. Definitely. Wet, and, Definitely. You know, yeah. So, you know, pancakes. I mean, it's just, it's a fun movie. I mean, it's sad. Like, it, the first half of the movie, in my opinion, is way better than the second half of the movie. Um, it's a fun movie to watch. Dustin Hoffman's at his best. He well deserved best picture, uh, well deserved best actor. Yeah, the whole, the whole topic of autistic savants are just. It's just so fascinating to me. It is. I, I, I did. I did a big project or like a paper on Kim Peek, the real life Rain Man, and his story is almost even more interesting. I mean, just as far as what he's able to do with his mind than in the movie. So it's just super crazy that that there's people like this who who are so gifted. You know what I mean? It's it's a crazy world that we live in. But but yeah, I mean the, the movie's just it's just okay. It's it's fine. Tom Cruise. Yep. Yeah. He's. He plays that schmarmy sh- asshole in so many movies, but this is almost like one of the definitive early versions of that schmarmy asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so 1989, Driving Miss Daisy. How do you feel about Driving Miss Daisy? Your boy Dan <laughs> Aykroyd's in it. <laughs> I mean, I think we talked about it. It's just, it's got like very, very little plot. It's just... Now again, I don't, I don't get into all that crap about. Oh, we don't like the blah blah blah. I, I don't care. I like they had a good dynamic. I like that they were friends. They both suffered uh, hardships and uh, what word am I looking for, Pappy? Tribulation? Prejudice. Prejudice. Yeah. You know, Jewish black man, and I like they had good conversations. It, it was definitely won't blow you away. There's very little plot. It's just a chauffeur driving a, a rich, uh, an old lady, not rich, an old lady around. That's pretty much what it is. Eh, she's it, rich, yeah. 
It feels like uh, from like out of Africa through Driving Miss Daisy, you can really feel the Academy getting older. And this is like the epitome of old people problems, the movie. It's like, that's, yeah. that's more of the reason why I couldn't connect with it. And may- maybe when I'm, when I'm older, I'll revisit it and think it's just like, oh, this movie is speaking to me. But yeah, it's, it just doesn't, doesn't work for me. I was it's very what, surprised. I, I thought, I thought he was like a smart alecky person and they sniped at each other. I didn't expect him to be like, Ooh, Miss Daisy. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I mean, like, I didn't expect that. So, like the kid from Cimarron, basically. <laughs> Sadly, yes. Something wrong back there, Miss Daisy? No. Something I done? No. Yes. Miss Daisy, I ain't done nothing. You had the car parked right in front of the front door of the temple, like I was the Queen of Romania. Everybody saw you. Didn't I tell you to wait for me in the back? Well, yes, but I was just trying to... Well, there's two other chauffeurs right behind me there. Made me look like a fool. A G.D. fool. Oh, Miss Daisy. Lord knows you ain't no fool. Slow down. So that brings us to the 1990s. Brett, we already said the 70s was your favorite decade in film, but would you call the 90s your second favorite? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I haven't really broken it down, but this is a, I think this is a really good one. There's a lot of really strong and important films in this, uh, this decade. I know it's how Stevie's favorite decade in film, but this first one uh, that we kick off with, Dances with Wolves, is not his favorite movie. No. Um, I, I actually did kind of like it. it. It is too long, and I hate the voiceover, but I thought you know the friendship was genuinely good. Um, Kevin Costner's performance is, is actually pretty solid, and I, I love an actor-director combo. Uh, you like Dances with Wolves, right? Yeah, it was good. I, I thought they did a really n- nice job of not uh, like portraying the, the Native Americans, and I love the scene where they kill the bad Native Americans, and that's just too good but mm-hmm. yeah it's i mean it's no good fellas but you know that many it films is, are it is no good fellas and i know like we said we won't hold that against it but i mean come on it's not even in the same ballpark as good fellas and, and another side note on dances with wolves my biggest uh memory of it is actually from the rugrats when stew is doing charades and one of the clues is dances with wolves and he acts that out uh, that's what i always remember Looks like he turned into an animal. Yeah, like a wolf or something. A horse? A dog? A cow? A reindeer? A pinata? A pinata? This is charade, Stu. No talking. And I'm not sure you should be making all those noises either. What's he doing? He must have got something in his pants. A lizard? A... Oh, a wolf. Yes! Stu, that's cheating. Ah, no sweat, dude. They'll never make it. Oh, he's dancing with himself. I don't get it. Wolf trot. Skip to my wolf. Stepping on wolves. Ha! Stepping wolf. Time. It's dances with wolves. Oh, I never saw that movie. You must have heard of it. I don't really like musicals. Nineteen ninety-one. A film that I think is a is a five-star movie. 
one of the greatest films ever made in my opinion silence of the lambs do you do you echo that sentiment brett yeah it's it's uh it's great i i know you didn't like my first rating but i hadn't seen it in a while now don't get me wrong i've seen it like six times but i rewatched it a couple weeks ago and i think i gave it five stars it's great every scene that anthony hopkins and jody foster in is in it's just like awesome Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy to think that he's in the movie for like 24 minutes or something yeah. like that. The, the last time I watched this, I watched it actually with the sound off because I was like cleaning and like listening to music, but I just had it on the TV. And like, it's crazy how like in every shot where there's men, like the men are staring at Jodie Foster. You yeah. Know what I mean, and it's mm-hmm. like such like a theme of the 90s of this, you know more of a, a presence of, of women in the workplace and like what they probably had to go through. So it, it works on a lot of levels. I love it. Uh, not much to say about that. Okay. Let's go to unforgiven 1992. Uh, this is Gene Hackman's second appearance. This is the first appearance, right? For Clint Eastwood. Yes, I believe so. This is like such a, it's such a divisive movie. I feel like, um, is it, or just Stevie just hate it? Stevie. But like, I know some people just love Westerns. Like, our, my friend Tim, and he thinks it's a great movie, but it's like it, it's not like a rewatchable. Like I liked it a lot, quite a bit, but I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, my favorite character actually from this movie is Gene Hackman. Uh, yeah, he's a awesome bad he's always, guy. He's he's always trying to build stuff with his carpentry, and like I love his. Uh, I mean, every movie he's in, I feel like he kind of steals the the show. Uh, what do you think about Morgan Freeman in this movie? Actually, really liked. I, I didn't expect him to be so. He's kind of cold. Um, now he's not as cold as uh, William Money or whatever his name is. But I think he's good in this movie. Did he get nominated but not win? I believe so. Yeah. One of the, the notable things about his character too that I remembered uh, was that like obviously Morgan Freeman's black, but like within the context of this film, that's never acknowledged. Right. You know what I mean, he's just kind of Clint Eastwood's friend. I kind of like that, but people are like really complaining about it. Like I feel like it's a. You're screwed yeah. if you do it, and you're screwed if you don't. Like, if you make it super, hey, it's 1890, you know, this guy doesn't belong here, people will get mad. But if you act like he's just a normal human being, which obviously he is, but not for the time period, they get mad. So it's kind of like you can't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the, the, unfortunately, no matter how old I get, I'll always think of Dumbledore getting beat up, and I don't like that. <laughs> like, that really, really bothered me. So that's uh, probably one of the main reasons I won't watch again. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about uh, Son of a Woman cost me a trivia win on your Goodwill <laughs> Hunting podcast? But uh, that performance from Al Pacino uh, beat Clint Eastwood and, of course, a number of other actors. But, I mean, do you, do you have any feelings on that? I haven't seen Son of a Woman. I've so. never seen it either. I, I know that it's kind of understood that it's kind of a lifetime achievement, like, kind of like a, a Denzel Washington in Training Day, like, yeah, you've had a lot better performances, but it's time to give you one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people think that's not one of his best performances, you know, Godfather 2, but at the same time, he spurned the Oscar so bad in 72, I think they were never going to give him an Oscar in 74. What do you, wait, what do you do in 72? He was super ticked off that he wasn't nominated for Best Actor and was nominated for Best Supporting, that he didn't even show up. <laughs> that's interesting. Because I think, isn't today, isn't that like submitted? Did, or does the Academy pick if you're a best actor or best supporting? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Well, 
Let's go on to 1993, uh, the year my sister was born. She's made a few brief appearances on the podcast. Uh, I rewatched Schindler's List recently in Oof. a movie theater, and like, dude, everyone was fucking crying. It was kind of nice to have a communal crying experience. It's, it's a five star movie for me. Liam Neeson's performance is, is amazing. Um, is, I think it's Spielberg's best movie, and your boy Ray Fiennes. Oh yeah, he's such an amazing bad guy as a, a Mon Goth. It, I mean. This is a movie I tell everyone, it's a movie you have to watch. It's this in the first half of The Pianist are like the two hardest movies I've ever had to get through. It's so brutal. I feel so bad afterwards. I mean, just feel so crummy. But it's such a beautifully shot movie. It's devastating. I mean, Ben Kingsley, Ray Fiennes, and Liam Neeson, I mean, they're unbelievable in this movie. So, and Spielberg, this the just a simple red coat, whatever, it's just like super brilliant to me and i will say too it's almost more of a movie about one man one person making a difference than it is even the holocaust you know yeah. what i mean like it obviously the setting is the holocaust the holocaust is is a major theme of the movie but when liam neeson at the end is like crying and then that last shot when it finally comes into color you know what i mean that gets me every time and i know like some more serious or up there on ass film critics think that last shot's like too cheesy, too over the top. It, it really moves me. Do you have any feelings either way? I don't. I'll take your word for it. I've seen it probably three times. I haven't seen it in a while, but it is on my scratch-off poster, so I will mm. be watching it soon. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's go on to 1994. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, all right. Let me set the record straight about Forrest Gump. I don't hate Forrest Gump. I gave it three and a half stars. It's a pretty damn good score for most movies. It's above average, but I just don't think it deserves to be five stars. But Brett, I think most people like this movie, so why don't you go ahead and talk about it? Yeah, I didn't give it five stars either. I mean, it was very ambitious. They tried a lot of new, cool things. Some of them hit, some of them didn't. It's just a really cool snapshot of history. Um, I guess the B-plot with Jenny is uncomfortable because she's just such a terrible person but she's a turd she's yeah. like she's like a good-hearted person but she's kind of like a, a a rolling stone she never gathered any moss i mean she just she used him so much and it's just sad i thought i mean i think tom hanks is dynamite in the movie i didn't give it five stars either i just think i think it's a good movie i think it's a, a nice journey to go through I think the first half's much stronger than the second half. Like, sure. I think everything with Lieutenant Dan, I think it's one of one of the best Vietnam sequences in any yeah, film. For sure. Uh, but when it gets to the point where he's like running back and forth, that's just so stupid. It just doesn't belong in this film. Like it, it, even I just can't hang with it for that long. That's always what bothered me. A lot of people on Letterboxd think there's kind of like an anti-intellectualism message with like Jenny constantly kind of being punished by the film and Forrest Gump kind of being dumb and having his awesome life. I don't really get that. Did, did you see that at all? Or? No, I don't. And I know the author of the book about Forrest Gump wasn't very happy because Forrest Gump in the novel is like a lot smarter than he's portrayed here. But uh, no, I don't know. I think I think it's a rich... I mean, Jenny gets some redemption in the end. I, I don't see that. I don't look that deep into... I don't find reasons to get outraged by movies. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's. I think that the people who give this movie like half a star, or one star, like just that's that's insane. Like it's not that bad, but I don't think it's one of the best movies ever made. But let's move on to 
the greatest director in spoilers history, or oh, yeah. at least the first director in spoilers history. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll give him. Melly Smelly Gibson, uh, director of 1995's Braveheart. Braveheart. Uh, I'll be honest, this is one of it's tougher for me to remember this movie. I watched it multiple times in like once in junior high once in high school and never since um but what what do you remember about braveheart well let's just get it out of the way i see your note i was going to bring it up anyway yes it's one of the most uh, least historically accurate movies ever um, but, but but okay but doesn't the film open with something like like english historians will hang me and like we don't no one says anything like that as a negative for like Amadeus. You know what I mean? Right. Like, no, and I I say it all the time. If I want to watch historically accurate stuff, I'll watch a documentary. I'm watching a movie to be entertained, and this movie is very entertaining. Obviously, it's very violent, um, but I think mm-hmm. I think the direction's good. The war scenes are really cool. Great villain. You know, I, I will I mean, it's just I don't know. It's just it's just a cool movie. It's a cool movie. He's a cool dude. I mean, Not uh, off the camera. Well, well, well. He had a rough year too. <laughs> I remember when I rented this from the library. It was uh, two cassettes or two VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. Like you had to switch the VHS tape. That's how long it was. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the freedom stuff it is pretty iconic. But it's. I mean, do you see yourself ever revisiting this like anytime soon? Yeah, it's actually on my poster. Uh, yeah, it's. Oh, uh, I, I watch it every five years or so. Like if you put it up against a movie we're gonna get to later, like Gladiator. I don't think it compares, but um, mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from this really that much. So, yeah, if I catch it on TV, I guess I'll, I'll leave it on. But it's not really something I'd seek out. But a movie that I really, really don't ever seek out is 1996's *The English Patient*. Here we have <laughs> again exploits of the British Empire, a uh, story within a story. This is another one that took me multiple tries to watch. Um, Excuse me, I'm basically Elaine Bennis with this movie. I <laughs> fucking hate it. If you just know that time code already. <laughs> just die already. I, I have it's it's like Casablanca but worse. It's like the Hurt Locker but worse. It's like Here from Eternity but worse. Um I I really don't care for this film, but but I think you're more positive on it. Yeah, I actually uh, gave it a really high rating early on. I recently dropped it um after seeing more. I don't know, I really liked it. I know it's really slow. A lot of stuff going on at one time. I just like characters like him that are socially him being Ray Fine. Yeah, socially inept. <laughs> I thought both the female leads were really charming. Um, Willem Dafoe was like a good yep. anti-hero, I guess. His, his second appearance in the list. Yep. Yeah. He's and, always wearing those weird gloves. It kind of freaks me out. Well, yeah, he, he well, had a yeah, reason yeah, yeah, to. Yeah. Um, and I, I see your note. I don't care at all that this beat Fargo because I thought Fargo was super overrated so yeah i I really just i fargo is one of my it's in my top 10 list but i'm with you that i wouldn't blame any of the performers fault i just think the material is kind of boring i just don't really care for i think everyone on screen does a great job of of acting and colin firth yeah is this his first appearance too yeah i think think it's his first appearance for uh, (laughs) (laughs) well well done hey now hey now uh so we go to 1997's titanic uh, pretty obscure, not well known. No, uh, well, maybe one of the smaller ones I think on this I, list. I think I missed that one. I think I've only seen eighty nine. Uh, this is one of my least favorite Best Picture winners. It's like really far down there. Um, I'll say that a lot of people on 
the like in the credits of Titanic did their job like extraordinarily well. The music's amazing, the costumes are amazing, the visual effects are amazing. The dialogue is so painful for me, and the story is pretty just dumb. Um, I, you like this? Though, yeah, right? I think this is a great movie. I've seen it so many times. Uh, great chemistry between the two leads. I mean, Billy Zane's like just a grade A bad guy. I, I, I mean, I understand you said something I believe once that kind of holds true, but you said I like every scene in this movie where there's no talking. It's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. In the last hour, I think the last hour is like a masterpiece of the... I mean, yeah, there's a lot of filler and fluff, but the slow doom of the boat crashing is just great, I think. I I love Celine Dion, and, uh, you know, I think it's great. I'll, I I thought about this, too, a couple of times. This hits the trope of... Uh... It's not a trope. It's just it's a papy complaint, pat point of mm-hmm. story within a story. Um, but I think yeah. that actually, in this case, really grounds the film. I think that it would almost be untenable, even though the old woman's actions at the end of the film are incomprehensible yeah, on why so she mad. does what she does. I, I think that if you didn't have that little setup, it would be much harder to get into the movie. Yeah. We got the thoughts on Titanic. It's a pretty big one. Nah, people, people know Titanic. All right, let's go to 1998's Shakespeare in Love. Maybe less well known. Yeah, I wish we had somebody like a descending opinion on the podcast because I think we both think the Academy made the right choice this year, which kind of puts us in the in yeah the minority. We, we last time we said this to somebody, we got screamed at, like le- legitimately screamed at by a friend of ours. So uh, now let's. I'm not gonna. We're not going to go into what went into making the movie. This is just purely on the movie. Yeah. And we're I've, talking about Saving Private Ryan, too, by the way. It's yeah, the Saving other Private film. Ryan, yeah. which I just watched recently. It's a, it's a good, it's solid good. movie. It's got two great scenes and a bunch of really solid ones. And bunch of, yeah. But, I mean, we both really like this movie. I, I, I still can't fathom that Joseph Fiennes was not even nominated. I thought he made the movie mm-hmm. personally. I mean, Grant Paltrow was good. Um, you know, one best actress, but Joseph Fiennes without him, he's like the perfect Shakespeare. I, I just, I just thought it was great. Awesome cast. Six movie club, Ben Affleck appearing in it. Absolute travesty that Dame Judi Dench won an Oscar for this, but you it's know, funny. It's a funny movie. It's, it is. I like it. Yeah. It is funny. It's yeah, a great it's a, movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's exploits of British playwrights. So it's not like out of the realm of possibility for the Academy to pick, but it is a comedy in this kind of stretch of movies, so it's pretty a pretty unique choice. The ending is kind of ridiculous when the queen shows up, but it works because it's a comedy, and it's kind of absurd and, in that Shakespearean tradition. But in movie number two for Colin Firth. Oh, good call. Number two for Colin Firth. He's like he's he's the English go to guy. Yeah, he's for, like uh, Oscar Bate for yeah. sure. Uh, he's a new trope, Colin Firth. Um, but <laughs> speaking of a movie with no controversy, 1999's American Beauty. Uh, I'm a. This is a movie that I haven't revisited since college. Same, I like it. Same. I, I think it's. I remember thinking some of the dialogue was pretty smart, but also given the the context of what the film's about and what's kind of happened, I don't really even really want to revisit it. I don't, how do you feel about it? I'm definitely not a fan of this movie. I I gave it an unfair rating because I haven't seen it in a while. But I just remember I've watched it twice. I just don't like it. I mean. I see good things about it. Obviously, Kevin Spacey's great in the movie. I mean, say what you want. But he was a great actor, man. I mean, he is, was, like, I mean, his yeah. skills at being an actor are, are un- unquestionable. But it's just, it's 
I wouldn't say it's forgettable because there's a lot of uh, you know iconic scenes in the movie. It's just not, just didn't, never really liked it. I always think of the Family Guy parody too. That always sticks out to me. Did you ever see that? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, maybe. Here, I gotta go check on dinner. You keep taping Stewie. Don't miss a moment. I got it. <gasps> Look, it's dancing with me. It's like there's this incredibly benevolent force that wants me to know there's no reason to be afraid. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world it makes my heart burst. It's just some trash blowing in the wind. Let's get into the 2000s getting more recently. So Russell Crowe's about to go two for three as being a lead uh, role in uh, Oscar Best Picture winning one uh, movie. The first one uh, comes from King of Spoilers or, or tied for King of Spoilers, Ridley Scott, uh, as far as directing goes, and Gladiator, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I remember seeing this at one of a friend's house when I was pretty young and just thinking it was so badass and awesome. I do still like it. Um, but it's it's not something that I revisit too often. Uh, you like Gladiator quite a bit. Am I, oh yeah, am I wrong? definitely. Yeah. This is definitely probably one of my favorite uh, Best Picture winners. Um, I've seen that a bunch of times. Great villain, great hero, great side characters, great tension. I, I really like it, and it looks cool too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any? Uh, any do you have a favorite scene from Gladiator? There's so many great sequences, uh, uh, action sequences. Well, action sequences, all of them, but uh, the scene where he shows himself to Commodus and he gives a speech about, you know, father to a husband to a murdered wife, father to a murdered son, I will have my vengeance, blah, blah, blah. That gives me goosebumps every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I'm not upset that this is Redley Scott's uh, submission to the Best Picture Winning Club. You know what I mean? Alien's great, but this is is pretty good, so... uh, Let's go to uh, here's Russell Crowe's second of two films uh, here back to in two th- in three years. Uh, Beautiful Mind. Uh, Ron Howard directed. I, I think it's kind of undeserving. It's not bad, um, but it just I think it's shot th- th- very pedestrian. There's nothing interesting. Like the colors are pretty boring. It's just kind of a drab movie to me. And the twist isn't isn't as impressive i kind of saw it coming the first time i saw it uh what, what do you think about a beautiful mind uh same thing i mean i was actually learning about uh nash at the time in uh my master's classes and so i was a lot more fascinated i mean like game theory the stuff he did with game theory is amazing but yeah it's kind of like a cheat movie like mm-hmm. nothing there's no real uh there's nothing really going on it's all spoiler alert it's all mental I thought Jennifer Connelly was great. I thought that her scream in the bathroom was one of the <laughs> best screams I've ever heard in movie history. And I think that single-handedly won her an Oscar. And she's gorgeous. It, how weird is it that Ron Howard's uh, Best Picture uh, Directing Director? Best Picture Winning Director? Yeah, I'm not on your guys' thing. You guys think he's terrible. I think he's awesome. So, I mean, okay. two of my favorite top 20 favorite movies of all time were by him. So, What's the second one in that? Uh, Apollo 13. So- it's oh, in so Cinderella, a, man. A Star Wars story? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, and all that staunch, Brett, we go to 2002 Chicago. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's weird that the Academy comes back, uh, you know, 50 years or whatever, or 40 years, I guess, after like the, the golden age of like the 60s uh, musical Best Picture winners. This just does not hold up to me uh i mean there's some it's put together well i mean like the dancing and everything like that one 
Cell Block Shuffle or whatever that song's called, it gets in my head like, you know, he had it coming, but mm-hmm. it's just there's no redeemable characters at all except for John C. Riley, and he's just such a doofus. He's so dumb at the beginning, yeah. Um, I don't know, all that jazz, it's a... Uh... It's more famous for being outside of the musical, really, even from this. So I, I watched it once. I never really want to watch it again. I'm not a big fan of uh, Rob Marshall either. I thought the new Mary Poppins was okay, but uh, I don't know. So we went to 2001, 2002, and now we have to come all the way to 2003 before we get what probably should have had more appearances maybe in this list, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Uh, yeah. I, this isn't my favorite of the trilogy, but... It feels like kind of the Oscars doing its Oscar thing and giving yeah. him a, a makeup call. Um, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, no, I mean, I, this is a, a great movie. Uh, my favorite, obviously, is The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, obviously. I, f- I feel like they needed to go two movies in before, like two or three movies in before they gave it. I think you're right. It's kind of like a career, a three-year award for them. And I think I think it is great. Um it's just I, I think it's the best trilogy ever I think it's amazing uh, especially extended versions I mean I could sit there and it's watch just, that's how that's how that's okay here's a complaint that I have Brett is that that's how narrow minded the academy is is that these are clearly the three most important movies uh, probably of this decade yeah. back to back to back and it, and it took three amazing movies in a row before they could get like a best picture win yeah, yeah uh, they like yeah, I, 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 totally. I mean, they, people would have flipped out if they would have won all three, but you can't tell me they wouldn't have been deserving. That's the thing. It's like you tell me, Fellowship isn't better than A Beautiful Mind. No, it's way it's way better. It's it's not even the same league of movies. No. but like, and very few people I think have Return of the King as their favorite. I feel like it's usually one or two for more like just the Battle of Helm's Deep. But yeah, I don't know this. The third one, the endings, did those bother you at all? Like, no, the- no, I've read the books. It's not, I mean, you can't, they're like, they should have just ended it on Mount Doom. Well, there's like nine other stories they had to tie in. Now, yeah, they could have maybe cut a little bit out, but at that point, man, I was, was more sad that it was going to be over as opposed to four different endings. I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. When you, I, how often do you revisit the films of this trilogy? All the time. Do you watch, uh, the extended editions or the theatrical? I usually watch theatrical because it's like a thing. Whenever it's on TV, I watch. And I like DVR'd it. I have the DVDs. And yeah. There you go. I mean, yeah, it's I, I have the extended editions, but it's almost like it's daunting. I feel like I can only go through them like once a year because it's such a commitment of time. But it, is. it is something I like to do every year because I love them that much. But hey, I need a break. Uh, all right. Let's take a break now. Now come the days of the king. May they be blessed. does not belong to one man, but to all. Let us together rebuild this world that we may share in the days of peace.
All right, so that brings us to 2004. Clint, oh, man, it's burped. I had the whole clip, I burped right when we started again. 2004's <laughs> Million Dollar Baby. Uh, Clint Eastwood's second appearance in the list as both a director and an actor. Uh, I really do like this movie. I would put it, you know, above Chariots of Fire, but below Rocky for the right, sports yeah. best picture winners. Is that you? So you're right there with me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a superior movie to uh, Chariots of Fire for sure. Mm-hmm. Dark. It's dark. Yeah. When did you first? Did you see it as part of this project, or did yep. you? Okay, same. It's not. It was never something that was on my radar. Um, and at the ending, yeah, it's pretty. Pretty sad. Yeah, it, pretty it's been and the ending's been parodied so many times. Like I knew it was going to happen. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah, don't really want to go into a movie where you know the main person's it's going to end poorly. And she's great. I mean, like she's she's got to be one of the most underrated actresses of all time, right? I mean, she's got two best actress awards, and like she, I feel like she keeps having to come back and make movies to be like, oh yeah, Hilary Swank. Oh yeah, I forgot about her. I yeah, forgot no, she, she won five, uh, two best actor awards, actress awards in five years. Forgot. And it, it, it's her. It's her character's persistence. It's her transformation mm-hmm. from that like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I, I know this is just what I want to do, even though it took me a while in life to figure that out. And because she's so persistent, it makes you know the conclusion all the more dramatic uh, with what happens to her. But and yeah, Morgan, good movie. Yeah. Morgan Freeman Would with you, this first, I believe, well-deserved. Oscar finally, so mm-hmm. and his it's his second appearance too. It's kind of cool how him and Clint Eastwood are three are friends like that. Three appearances for him, for Clint. No, you said you said I thought you said Morgan Freeman. Oh wait, what, is, what are Morgan Freeman's? It's this Driving Miss Daisy and Unforgiven. Oh, Driving Miss Daisy. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, moving on to two thousand five. Uh, this is most divisive movie ever. So I think it's hilarious. It's all about that sensitive touch, Brett. Um, it's not the worst best picture winner. Whenever I hear someone say that, it's, it's like, an, okay, you, yeah, you it's haven't not, it's seen, nonsense. Yeah. You haven't seen Cimarron. Cim- you haven't seen the Broadway melody. You haven't seen the great Zigfield. Like I would rather watch, what is this? Like hundred minutes of crash, 120 minutes of crash, two hours Something of crash. Like then like, then three hours of, of, of a lot of those movies, but it is preachy, which makes me surprised that you don't hate it. Well, I haven't seen it since I've gone staunch, you know? So, um, okay. But no, I watched it in college, and someone kept saying, go to watch Crash. I was like, yeah, okay, it's got Ludacris in it. How good could it be? And I watched it, and halfway through, I almost turned it off. I hated it so much. And then there's like 12 scenes in a row that are like all payoff. And it mm-hmm. really blew me away, and I liked it like the next time I watched it. I haven't seen it in a while, and again, I get the complaints about it. He's very footloose and fancy free and aloof with racism. But I think it's that's just kind not, of a it's kind of a new, fresh take on it, whether it's good or not. At least it's not the same old. It's stuff. not the fact that like the the characters are all so unlikable and racist that makes it hard to watch. It's that they're they're irrational. Yeah, like they don't act like real people. Like every character is so brazen and insane in their racism and their hate that it makes it like unrealistic, ungrounded. Like from the guy who sh- like the the locksmith, uh, the locksmith. Uh, who deals with that uh, Eastern European guy? Sandra Bullock is so ridiculous. Matt Dillon, like yeah, they're like all the worst type of people all put in together, which it's, makes it less believable, probably. But you know, yeah, it's just and, and the fact that too, like if you like like the whole setup and payoff as- aspect of the fact that like these characters are like constantly bumping into each other, I just feel like there's so many movies that do that better. Like, 
a lot of Robert Altman stuff like Nashville. Like there's better movies that have that kind of like setup and payoff. Like uh, the the apartment has way better setup and payoff, doesn't it? Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Sandra Bullock falling down the stairs is hilarious and deserves a special <laughs> award from the Academy, in my opinion. But it's 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 certainly not the worst. If you think it's the worst, you have no idea what you're talking about. But it's also for me not great. So where do you put it? Is it like how many stars would you give it, or did I, you give it? I don't remember. I think I gave it three and a half. Interesting. I, I won't I won't go any lower than that. I really I just don't I, I judge movies for what I see. You should not- watch it. Okay, I mean, I've. Okay, I will. I do look well, at we'll... movies differently now, so we'll see. That, that'd be a good spoilers pick, Brett Crash. No, um, God, no. <laughs> but, okay, but speaking of spoilers picks, that brings us to 2006, The Departed, episode 133. I mean, we've already done an, a whole almost two hour podcast on that. Like I said, go back and listen to episode 133 uh, if you want to hear more from me, but you weren't on that, correct? Yes, I was. Oh, you were? Oh, yep. wow. 133. You've been on for like almost 70 episodes. What did you, you think of The Departed? I don't, I don't quite remember. Oh, it's, a, it's a great movie. Uh, great cast. Uh, Early Brett. Yeah, no, I mean, this is it's a great movie. So, it, it was a kind of a weak year, so, you know. Uh, and I, well, Last King of Scotland, pretty good. Yeah. Blood Diamond, which I actually really like Blood Diamond. Uh, I don't know if that was nominated for an Oscar. It was nominated for Oscars, but... Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no. 2006 is a great year in film. But, no, it's a great yeah. It's but Children not of like Oscar nominated films. Yeah. Like you love, obviously, you love Children of Men wasn't nominated. I love The Prestige wasn't nominated. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth wasn't nominated. But you know, you know what I mean. Like yeah, it's a great mm-hmm. year in film. Little Miss Sunshine. I mean, it's a good year. It's a really good year. Yeah. Uh, it's again. It feels like because we gave it to Rocky and not Taxi Driver back in 77. Now we have to give it to Departed yeah. as opposed to those other films. But that's just kind of the ripple effect that these things have. I don't know. Not much else to say about that. Maybe another movie, though, that wasn't makeup call, just because I think I prefer There Will Be Blood. And I, I know Stevie's not listening at this point. Cause no. If he was, he'd, he'd murder me for, for saying that. But yep. spoilers, episode nine, No Country for Old Men. I'm positive you weren't on the podcast at this point no. so what did you think about No Country for Old Men I've seen it once I liked it but I kind of like again I, I hate to go back to it but kind of like with Fargo like I hear people talk about it, it's like oh it's such an awesome movie and it was I, I hated the ending I don't know anybody who liked the ending but whatever it's just it's just a really solid movie and I definitely want to watch it again it's on my my poster so I'll be watching it again uh, Javier Bardem is an amazing bad guy well deserved Oscar Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the whole flip a coin sequence is so iconic. It's one yeah. of my favorite things ever. I, 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 I do like the ending. Um, in the in that episode, we talked about how it was kind of uh, how it could be frustrating, but it's again, it feels like the Coens deserve to be on this list, and here's, for sure, here's for their sure. submission. So, yep, yeah, good movie, solid movie. Go back and listen to episode nine, hosted by Carter, very infrequent guest of the podcast, always lurking in the shadows, but. Uh, 2008, this was like the heart of, of my getting into film time. Um, this is when I, like I said, I had Ben Makowitz taped from At The Movies. We got TCM, um, a bunch of other stuff came together. But I, I saw Slumdog Millionaire in the theaters, and I remember really liking it at the time. I I have not revisited it. Same. Very recently, we had the DVD. Uh, but I have it, too. I, I remember really liking it. I yep. think it's a cool premise. Um, it's hard to underestimate how big who, who 
who wants to be a millionaire was and how ubiquitous that was in our culture so this movie made sense um i don't know do you think it holds up today i think i think so because it's got a great underdog story it's got a great love story it's got great awful bad guys i mean i think it's good it's a i mean he like i made a joke about he like goes through so much crap at one point he literally goes through crap like human feces it's just it's just a good it's a good you know rags to riches story and it's got a really crazy bollywood style dance scene at the end which i think is kind of cool i mean it's weird but but that's bollywood stuff for you so yeah that is kind of one complaint that i I do have is that there have been so many brilliant indian directors and and a favorite of mine is sajit ray uh i've seen a couple of his movies uh here in denver as part of like film like old retrospective film series type stuff and they're really awesome and it just kind of sucks that like this is their this is india's representation on the list you know what i mean do you, do you get what i'm saying there like directed yeah, by but Danny I, don't, Boyle. I, I can't tell you i've seen a single bollywood indian movie that's saying, isn't that the point of the list the point of the best picture list would be to, to raise it like you we've seen fucking the broadway melody and tom jones and all these other like shitty movies or below average movies it'd be nicer to have like a classic Indian film on this list. You know what I mean? Yeah, but isn't isn't Ang Lee Indian? I don't want to speak out of turn. I mean, he went back to back best director, so I guess Wait, who directed? Was this Danny, Danny Boy? Boyle? Danny Boy. I'm just saying, like, if Ang Lee is Indian, you know, let's just cut all that. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I don't know if he's Indian. Or, I know he's not American, but well, either way, I mean, yeah, it's, that's my only that's my only thing. But as the film itself, I have no complaints. With. Right. I yeah. just wish, I wish in general, I guess I'm saying the list was more international. That's all I'm saying. You know, yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to see like some Japanese movies, like, some German films, some other representation. But regardless, a very American movie is 2009's The Hurt Locker, and I mean that in the best way possible. I love, I love, love, love this film. Catherine Bigelow, favorite of Spoilers podcast for directing <laughs> what's considered the best of our podcast, according to iTunes, uh, Point Break. How do you feel about The Hurt Locker? I've only seen it once, and I remember, I still say to this day, it's the most intense movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It is just constant. You're just waiting for something to happen. Very well done. Jeremy Renner, at his best. I don't think he's ever done anything better so great, since man. or before. I it's one of the only movies I really like Anthony Mackie in because I don't really like uh, uh, whatever his name is Falcon it's alright Guy Pierce that's a weird having him build but you know because he's in it for like five minutes but Mm -hmm. great great movie Uh, first female person ever win Catherine Bigelow it's awesome she's a great director so she was the first to win best director right Um, I believe so yes and this is the first first movie yeah to ever direct to direct the ad, a Best Picture winner. Uh, also, uh, I mean, kind of interesting, too. We talked about this uh, more back towards the end of World War II, but we're revisiting the themes of, of PTSD. You know what I mean? It's a tried yeah. and true way to win this award. It's, it's weird how there's those little like things that always win this award, you know? Kind of a cool concept that everyone in the story can't wait to go home, but Jeremy Renner is most miserable when he's at home. Even though mm-hmm. he's, got a, he's got a beautiful wife, he just he lives for the adrenaline of being a bomb squad person in the in the Marines or Army, whatever it is. So kind of a cool little concept there. Yeah, I mean, but also speaking of uh, concepts within concepts, uh, we move into the the aughts, or wait, what, no, the teens? teens well, I don't yeah. know what we call this yeah, we're, leaving the, teens. we're leaving the aughts. We're getting into the teens. 
in the teens with the tried and true exploits of the British <laughs> Empire, particularly during wartime. Uh, Colin Firth, another Oscar uh, sort of track here. We're talking, of course, about the King's Speech. I saw this with my family in the theaters. I remember thinking it was, you know, kind of an uplifting movie. We saw it around the holiday time, so it was, it was a good, a, a good. Uh, kind of movie for that time of year to see on christmas break i have not revisited since but same my mom i i I love my mom i I think she's listening to this but like when she loves like there's like four movies that she loves and she owns them all on dvd and this is one of them but i don't think we ever watched it so yeah i i like it i think it's a great performance by colin firth but people do kind of complain about this right like there's some uh well it beat uh i think Catherine bigelow's next movie or maybe that was later uh, I don't know. I like this movie. Uh, it's a rare Helena. Be, like the likes of the social network, Inception. Oh, uh, okay. Black Inse- Swan. Well, Inception's amazing, but... Um, Shutter Island. I haven't yeah. seen the other ones. So, I don't know. You can't... I mean, it, it's not like it should be surprising. It's got Oscar bait, Colin Firth, Oscar bait, Jeffrey Rush. I mean, it's just like... Literally Oscar bait topics. Like. Yep. It's a, it's a cool movie. I mean, I, again, I need, I'm going to watch it again. Um... But it's one of the rare performances of Helena Bonham Carter I like, because I do not like her. Um, but I like her in this movie. She again, it's not super historically accurate. Like he had a, like a bit of a stutter apparently, but nothing like how they portray. But it makes for a better movie, guys. Just shut up. Sure. Yeah, and the, only a fool gets their history lessons from Hollywood movies. But th- we've seen Colin Firth twice uh, before. Uh, once in uh, Shakespeare in Love and once in The English Patient, both of the times as a supporting cast member. Here he is as a leading man. What do you, what do you think of him as a leading man? Um, uh, I think he's a fantastic actor. Uh, I think, you know, one B, one best actor for this movie. I don't have any complaints for him. I think he's a, just a good actor. He may be a little uh, one-dimensional, but I haven't seen a lot of his stuff other than what I've seen during this, so... I love him in love, actually. I think it is one of those things where, like, yeah, maybe in retrospect, we'll say the social network is the best movie. Inception was, like, the cool movie yeah. at the time. Um, you knew but, it wasn't going to win. But, I mean, yeah, it's that's kind of why people hate the Oscars. But, I mean, if you take that away and King's Speech just came out in a vacuum, you wouldn't think it was a shitty movie. It's right. just because, you know, going back to the Deer Hunter, it's kind of maybe fishing for that award. Um Another one that people shit on quite a bit is 2011's The Artist. Um, I I love the dog. I love the John Goodman's second appearance here in this list. I love the I love the the dancing. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful movies of this decade. Um, you like The Artist too, so again, I wish you kind of had a descending view. But what what do you like about it? I love this movie. It's of all of all the Oscar movies we uh, we've talked about. This is in my top 10. I love I, the first 15 minutes were brutal. I almost turned it off. Side note, I after watching Shape of Water, that was my 27th best picture. And I decided to uh, start my quest and this was number 28. And if it wasn't good, then you know maybe I wouldn't have kept going, but I loved it. The last 20 minutes I had a grin on my face. Yeah, it's a silent black and white film. I mean, in 2011. I mean, I can see why people don't like it. I loved it. I thought Jean Desjardins was really good. Well pronounced. 
Well, I took six years of French, so, you know, Jean Desjardins. Oh, oui, oui, Brett. Oh, 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 Brett. I, I, I'll say, I think one of the reasons, too, that people don't like it is it feels like that it was Hollywood sort of patting itself on the back. But, I mean, look at this list. There really aren't that many. I mean, we'll go again here in 2012, but, but movies are kind of celebrating quote-unquote movie making or, or Hollywood on this list. There's really not that many. Right, yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't really buy that. That was kind of part of the the Lindsay Ellis video I sent you. But yeah, I, I think it's charming. I think it's just a cute, nice movie. Did it beat? Did it beat something of note? Is that why people? Well, it beat Hugo, which won six Oscars that year. And I know some people. But Hugo was good. I liked Hugo, but not like I like this. No, it was a it was a down year. Like you once told me, this was like far and away the best movie that was nominated. So like. That's it's, not, a problem. it's not that surprising. Yeah. We've done Cabin in the Woods from this year, uh, which is a great movie. We've done Drive from this year, which is a great movie that you just recently saw. What do you, mm-hmm. I guess The Artist or Drive, real quick, which would you give Well, I mean, like rewatchability, it's Drive, but I liked The Artist. I mean, I, I loved The Artist, Ben. I loved Drive, too. That was really good. Very violent. Nice. Don't, don't yeah, put me in a spot like that. I'm sorry. I would give it to Drive, but yeah. I mean, it's they're two, two really good movies. But all right. This is a movie... That, divisive. Uh, it's a divisive movie. I saw it in college. Uh, here we go. John Goodman back to back. Sorry, that was the first time on his list for for the artist. Here he comes in the second time um, with Argo. Um, it's the best idea that Ben Affleck had, Brett, and that was to make uh, make this movie. Uh, what did you think about Argo? I I loved this movie. Uh, again, I like a lot of these 2010s. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I thought it was a good script. Again, if you want to throw, it's not historically inaccurate. I don't give a crap. I'll watch it. I'll watch a documentary on the Iranian hostage crisis if I want accuracy. I liked it. Good cast. Good tent. It was very tense, even though you kind of knew they were all going to be fine because of history. Good script. Good directing. I think. Uh, I just. I agree. Yeah. I think great performance by Ben Affleck. Uh, Oh, so you put Steve McQueen on the list, or I? Yeah, this is Ben Affleck. I put Steve this. McQueen. Yeah, no, he definitely directed this. Yeah, yeah. Brian Cranston yep. uh, shows up in the list. Uh, he had a big, big couple years here. He was in Drive. Shows up again in this Best Picture, Best Picture winner. Yeah, I can get the complaints that it's Hollywood was kind of self congratulating itself for for playing the part, and that the the part that the Canadians played in this is 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 being downplayed by the film. But but it's like you said, like I don't. I don't try to learn history from these films. That's not no. the right way to go about it. So I, I, I do think it's a good story. Uh, did it beat? I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot. Did it beat something that people were pissed about? I it was 2012. Don't think so. Django. Uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I liked it more than Django. Django was pretty good, though. I get. Uh, I told the you, Master Lincoln was nominated. Um, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. It's. I think it's a pretty solid movie. It, it ends up kind of in the middle of my overall ranking, but but yeah, it's kind yeah, of hated I on. I think I don't much. have it like super highly rated, but I would say it was one of my f- more likable ones, just because I just thought it was cool. I thought I like Ben Affleck more than most people. Yeah, mm-hmm. Le Mis, Life of Pi, Silver Lines Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty. But see, that's again where they got they got the nominees all wrong. Like, why is Moonrise not nominated? Why is Wreck It Ralph not nominated? Why is The Master not nominated? Like, why yeah. is Amazing Spider Man not nominated? Right, Brett? Yeah, the first one. I like the first one. <laughs> it's it's it is what it is. But 
All right, let's go to 2013. Uh, this is directed by Steve McQueen. I had this wrong in our little spreadsheet here. Um, but it's, this is also 12 Years a Slave. Um, it is a brutal film yes. to watch. And it, it does things to you. Like there's one point where there's 87 uh, straight uncut seconds of, of Solomon, our main character, being whipped. Uh, there's another uh, section of the film where there's four straight minutes of where he's hung at the at the end of his time on the Ford Ranch and he's standing on his tippy toes. Um, yeah. It's the the structure of the film is, is is daunting in of itself. You get like five minutes of him being a free man. He spends like twenty minutes of of him on the Ford Ranch, and then by the time we get to your boy Michael Fassbender, uh, it's like almost forty five minutes on that ranch. And Brett, that part is rough to yeah, watch. Yeah, he, he's rough. First of all, my my boy is Benedict Cumberbatch, but. Um, Michael you know, Fassbender. You love Fassbender too. I do. No, Fassbender is amazing in this movie. He's such a good bad guy. His, duh, yeah, it, he's like I, it's hard to even talk about him and Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, it is. The, the, their their relate their dynamic is brutal. Uh, I, if he doesn't get free at the end, this movie like just goes to the never watch again. But I really, really, really like this movie. It was very powerful. Uh, Chueto Ejiofor, awesome, good cast. I, I, people complain that Brad Pitt in the movie he produced made himself the hero of the movie. I don't care. Uh, I love Brad Pitt. Here. Yeah, Brad Pitt, Oscar deserving. What about Paul Dano, our boy? Um, he is the sickest. He might even be sicker than Fastbender in this movie. I love the, the when you the, when you go to YouTube and you look up Twelve Years a Slave. There's there's a link that comes up the best scene, and that's the scene when they're trying to get across the river. He's you know singing. I mean? No, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah. Or Solomon's like engineer flexing on Paul Dano, and Paul Dano's like, "Are you an N word? Are you an engineer?" And then like Solomon just lays it out, blah 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 blah, blah and just totally dunks on him right right in his face. It's so awesome. Um, yeah, it, it is a great scene. Um, I've heard people say that the ending is unsatisfying. Um, uh, no, you... dude, I could yeah. not disagree with that anymore. Like, yeah, they could. Maybe add a few more minutes to it, but it's so sad. It's so good. Uh, the ending, without the ending, I would have like just probably walked out into traffic. Oh, Jesus. Well, I'm <laughs> glad you didn't do that because you live to see the year 2014. And that was Alejandro Gonzalez Inarito, uh winning his Oscar for Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. This is another one that's gotten quite a bit of heat, I feel like, in recent years for not being deserving. Um, I, I remember liking it quite a bit. I think that at the time, the appearance of the, those continuous shots, excuse me, the way that was put together was, was pretty outstanding. I would have voted for Grand Budapest or Whiplash or even... Oh, excuse me, Ex Machina before this, but I think it's a pretty solid movie. What, what do you think? I, I think it's a solid movie. My wife cringes whenever I talk about this movie. This is probably my favorite year in film ever. The drums? Does she hate the drums? I'm talking about Birdman. talking about Whiplash? What are you talking I'm about? about Birdman. Uh, well, she just both, didn't... both of them predominantly featured the drums, Birdman and Whiplash. She just didn't like it. Um... No, this is 2014 is like my favorite year in film ever. It's an ever, amazing so. year. It's an amazing year in film. Yeah, I mean, you got so many Grand Budapest, uh, Imitation Game, Theory of Everything, uh, American Sniper, uh, I know Whiplash, I'm not, Gone Girl. Whiplash. I mean, it's just, it's such a The two a best great Marvel year. movies, Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier, and, uh, 
uh, come and get your love, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, it follows. Spoilers pick. It's it's such a stacked year. It's insane. Yeah. So like, but yeah, the the camera shots, like the like the six minute long continuous shot. There were some great shots in that movie. Michael Keaton, like comeback of Michael Keaton, which is great for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. Because I was I grew up with Michael Keaton. He was the first Batman I knew. So Edward Norton plays like himself, kind of. It, it's it's a good movie. It's just 2014, man. Is my it's just so good. Uh, Big Hero Six. Uh, let's see what else was there. A Lego Movie, Edge of Tomorrow, The Babadook. Uh, I think there's another spoilers movie in here, isn't there? John Wick movie we spoiled. Yeah, it's it's such a great year in film. Their first Paddington. I uh, get that as well. So it's 2015. Not a bad year. Stevie's favorite movie, Mad Max. I I do wish that would have won. Um, but Spotlight is a pretty solid movie. Uh, it, it feels like a lot of other, like all the President's Men type investigative journalism movies. It doesn't feel like anything super news happening. But I don't, I don't fault it for that. Uh, you like Mark Ruffalo, right? Yes. What do you think about Spotlight in general? Well, I I probably like Spotlight more than most people. I this movie I loved, and I give it extra credit because I am born and raised a Catholic. And I despise journalists. I have for a long time, and I was I was rooting. I was no. This is way. This is this goes way back, dude. I went to college to be a journalist, so I just I was rooting for the journalists because obviously because it, you know the other thing was bad. Let's let's just say that I thought it was great. Michael Keaton's great. I just I really liked it, man. Um, Michael Keaton, of course, going back to back uh, with Birdman and Spotlight. Um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I love Mark Ruffalo's performance. Uh, I think uh, the movie, uh, like I said, it, it feel, feels like many investigative, investigative journalism movies, but it doesn't doesn't let me down in a lot of ways. So yeah, Spotlight, Spotlight, good. But I mean, do you? How many times have you seen it? I only I've only seen it once. Once, but uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, watch it again soon. But yeah, once, just once. I don't see. I don't. I don't feel any need to revisit Spotlight. You know, I feel like I've seen it. I've been there. Very similarly, 2016's Moonlight. Uh, I I think this is a masterpiece. I think it's the, the the three chapters of his life. I think that's so creative. And but more so, it's a beautiful movie. The way it's shot, the way the shots are framed, the use of color. Uh, Barry Jenkins is a genius when it comes to color. Uh, I recently saw his newest movie. Um, man, man what you? Burps. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, man. sorry. We'll talk about Moonlight. Why I burped this out? Uh, I, I liked Moonlight. It's uh, this is my third favorite movie of 2016. I thought it was a great movie. Uh, the chapter thing was really cool. Cool, unique storyline. It wasn't like preachy or th- throwing anything in your face. It just really well done. Um, my favorites of 2016 were Arrival and La La Land, but Moonlight was a, a close third. So, Mahershala mm-hmm. uh, Ali, I, if he was in it more, he blew me away. Like he was so well deserving of that best uh, actor, yeah, supporting uh, actor, best supporting actor win, and, and he, yeah, it's that kind of masculine support that the that our main character has that we don't get to see that often. Uh, yeah, I, if Bale Street could talk was the, was the most recent Barry Jenkins movie. Beale, yeah, that. Beale Street. Beale Street could talk. It's his, his use of color is so good in that he, he he's a master with the camera. So I I love Moonlight. 
Um, I don't know if there's much more to say about that, but Brett, it's been a long podcast. I'm dying. I'm burping. My throat's going. Let's go to 2017's The Shape of Water. This is the 90th best picture, Brett. This is history in the making. What did you think of, of the most recent best picture winning movie? I thought this was a great movie. I loved this movie. Uh, probably my second favorite movie of the year. So, uh, I mean, I think it's just great cast. What's the bag? What's the guy's name? I can't think of him. Uh, the Michael Shannon, great bad guy. Barry Jenkins, mm-hmm. awesome. Octavia Spencer, awesome. And Barry Jenkins, who? Uh, not Barry. Uh, I don't know what's his name. Doug Jones. Michael. Our boy. No, Jenkins. He. Gosh dang it. He's Richard in, Jenkins? Yes, Richard Jenkins. There we go. Uh, Doug Jones, great as the fish man. <laughs> I always, I always think of you Doug saying Jones, yeah. your Octavia Spencer impression is too good. But, <laughs> you quit fucking that fish man right now, Liza. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, besides Dunkirk, this is my favorite movie of 2017. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sally Hawkins, felt, your girl. I, 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 I'm... I am a huge fan of Sally Hawkins. I felt like the Academy's... If it, it just felt like in the run-up to this, it always just felt like The Shape of Water's time. You know what I mean? But it also felt like the strongest... Maybe complete movie. I'm with you. Dunkirk was my favorite movie, but but the music was so phenomenal in this film. Uh, the costumes were, were really good. The production design, like it takes place in this weird, like nebulous time. It, it feels like the 50s or the 60s. You know what I mean? But it's, it's also, yeah, early like, 60s. Great yeah, colors, it, like a lot of green and dark. Mm-hmm. It just a really cool movie. We, my wife and I, really enjoyed that. And the whole choice of spoiler or the, the 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 musical sequence, I I love that. Like that music into your heart. Uh, we 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 talked about that a lot on the Oscar music episode last year. But it's it's a beautiful song, and, and Sally Hawkins totally sells that that performance of, of of her singing it. So yeah, I think that's it. That's the most recent Best Picture winner. So that's ninety Best Picture winners. Brett, let's let's close this with. A yes or no for doing being a completist of Oscar Best Picture winners. Do you think that's worth the time of of a movie viewer? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This was a great, great quest. I always called it my quest. Uh, I think you should. Everyone should try. Maybe not do it as quick as Pappy and I did it. Um, it took me about three months to watch sixty three films. You know, I do have a wife and a life and a job, and I was in school. So, you know, maybe take your time get through those early ones do not save those early ones for the end uh just try to spread it out to good bad good bad it's definitely worth it it makes me more of a cinephile i feel mm-hmm. i mean yeah i would say that the, there's that stretch in the 30s that's just so shitty dude. for sure it's for just sure. so bad that it's just like it, it can be defeating and especially there are so many oscar podcasts that are like we're going to do all the Oscar Best Picture winners and I get like 25 episodes in and they stop because it just beats you the fuck down at some point. But there are so many hidden gems that we talked about. Yeah, I'll give it a yes to you. I think it's worth doing. I preferred the AFI 100 list, but this is also... There's so many great movies I never would have seen if it wasn't for this list. So I, I really liked it. Um, we can play us off here. Uh, Brett, which of these scores would be the best to, to play us off? Uh, what's your favorite score from this list? Uh, I don't know. The, probably, probably the Godfather. I like it. So that's that's playing in the background. Brett, amazing job by you, buddy. That was a 
history making podcast history making hey to anyone who's still listening after all this time you guys are true fans we love you thank you thank you and if you if you uh tweet us with the hashtag uh best picture every movie we'll we'll send you a mug so thank you for listening (laughs) that was the best picture spoilers Well, you don't get off the episode yet. All right, we got a, our first amendment. We're recording this on Monday, February 25th, 2019. Uh, the 91st Academy Awards just ended and Green Book reigns supreme. Brett, first of all, I hope we do this every year after the Academy Awards, don't you? Oh, definitely. I love it. Yeah, we got a lot of good feedback on this first part, but what do you think about Green Book? Uh, I mean, if anybody knows me at all, I, I don't, I wade through all the extra crap that I hear about the movie and just break down the actual movie. I love this movie. Uh, my wife loved this movie. Um, it was a feel good movie. We thought it was funny. Um, maybe that's my privileged self of it, but, um, I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really warm and had good moments, bad moments. I mean, it had like some legit scary, infuriating moments at some of the places down south and I don't know I mean yeah uh, Vigo's kind of a caricature of uh, you know an Italian person but again I I just thought it was like the story of two opposites that kind of slowly wade their way towards the middle to where they have some common ground and I thought it was masterfully done I mean again it's definitely not a perfect movie um, but I, I just I enjoyed it. Mahershala Ali was amazing. I thought Vigo was amazing. I thought it was just funny. Yep. So that's the uh, uh, two best picture club for uh, Vigo Morganson. Yeah. So I, I, Stevie kind of said the same thing that his performance seems almost kind of caricaturish until they show the guy at the end of the movie in real life. <laughs> it's like holy shit, holy shit. That's exactly what he's like. So I, I don't know. I'm with you. I really liked it. The source material is definitely very uh, pedestrian and I think it's even like some of the criticisms that that we were just talking about right before this podcast are that it was like the approach to to addressing you know issues of race in America by using a white conduit to like see into like the black community is 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 definitely i think it's fair to say that it's antiquated but i i think that vigo and mahershala's performance just like elevate that that average source material and make it super great like like you said it's a it's a funny movie it's an emotional movie it's a feel-good movie like uh i i have it near the the middle bottom of my list but that's i mean i gave it four stars it's a it's, this is like one of the most elite list of pictures right so yeah. that's no strike against the movie so yeah i i don't get the hate either i guess is there any criticism that you've seen that that did resonate uh with you i know you gave it like five stars no, I, I, I dropped you, it you down a half star um okay you know just after it won i mean let's see no i mean you know, the he actually the real guy folded his pizzas and ate it like that. I mean, I think they That's probably the best part of the movie. Yeah, I think they <laughs> I probably so got much. his uh, his persona better than they probably got Don Shirley's. Um, you know, apparently 
he had said Don Shirley told him not to ask his family about it. I mean, whether that's true or not. Um, I mean, no, nothing really stuck out that much. I, again, I just really enjoyed it for what it was. I took it at face value. It was actually my fourth favorite film of the year. I mean, I just really, really liked it. Well, there you go. That's the First Amendment. So, um, we'll hopefully add on to this podcast uh, again next year. So, thanks for listening. That was Spoilers. And we're back. Uh, I don't have the burps, finally. Uh, and we're here to talk about the 2019 Oscars. Brett, can you believe it's been a whole year since we've done this? I cannot believe it. I, You know me, I wait for the Oscars all year long, so it took extra long for me. What did you think about this year in Oscars? Because Parasite was the winner, and we'll talk about that in a second. But this is... We talked about it a little bit on the Oscar Pick'em show. A lot of people are saying this is one of the GOAT years for nominees and just for movies in general. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. I think we were both kind of hesitant to believe it until we started watching. And man, it's definitely up there. The All nine of the Best Picture winner uh, nominees were all awesome to me. They're varying degrees of awesome. So I, I think so, man. The foreign films were great that I saw. Um... You got, I mean, like you said, you got movies like Lighthouse that had one nominee, one nomination. Mm-hmm. You had the uh, Uncut Gems, which is a lot of people's favorites, didn't get nominated. I mean, it's just Stevie's it, favorite. It's yeah. just stacked, stacked year. Mm-hmm. Good superhero movie. Yeah. But you mentioned the foreign films. You said varying degrees of awesome. Where does Parasite fall for you on those varying degrees? Um, of nine, uh, I think I have it right in the middle. I have it as my fifth favorite. Now, I don't know about better or best or whatever but i think there were four other ones that i enjoyed more than parasite yeah i'm about there with you we can get into specifics in a second it is certainly a movie that's received a lot of acclaim it's the top rated movie ever on letterboxd which i think is a little bit extreme i didn't have it as my number one of the year either and i didn't give it five stars but it's a unique story yeah it's an interestingly told story there's twists that you don't see coming particularly the people in the basement the production design is amazing they built that whole house on their own but like i think we're kind of in agreement where the ending brought it down a little bit for you yep and let's be honest i hate this word but it is relevant and you can't tell me that hollywood doesn't like to pat themselves on the back and pick a movie of class differences and rags to riches and stuff like that so i'm not saying it wasn't worthy i'm just saying i think politics goes into this stuff i think that's hard to argue with well it's funny too because like bong hoon bong hoon joe said that he didn't think it would translate to an american audience because he thought he was telling such specifically like korean story of class but it's had this international appeal and like i i'm happy that it won one because I needed it to beat you in the Oscar <laughs> Pickham show that <laughs> came down to the wire. But mostly I'm happy because I think that I, I, I like to see it become more of an international film competition. Do you get what I'm saying there? Like, I, I think yeah. that it's, it's, it's about like, like I said, it's just statistically improbable that the best movie every year would be English speaking. But Do you- the biggest studios and the most money come from the United States. So, that's a very good point. You know, yeah. statistics are skewed that way. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a worthy winner. 
Um, mm-hmm. I would have preferred 1917 get it personally, and you liked uh, Little Women, even though we knew Little Women wasn't going to win. Little Women didn't have a chance, no. yeah, but. But yeah, I think we're both pretty happy with the way it turned out, and uh, and like you've listened back to this this podcast, right? Because we're doing this in a weird way, we're adding on to it like yearly. Um, I'm pretty happy with the way this podcast turned out, aren't you? Oh yeah, I I actually listened to this a few months ago, probably for like the fourth time. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. So it's we're still the only podcast ever to do it. We're going to do it again next year, right, Brett? Oh yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to this little extended uh, edition of the Every Best Picture Show. Uh, That was spoilers.